The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 38 of the MJ Cast. Michael, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Michael. Woo! Happy birthday, Michael. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, we got a fun show planned today. We sure do. So today's episode, we are joined by our guest host, James, and we're going to be talking about some great new stuff, and we're going to be hearing from James about his fan story as well. Some of the news headlines we're going to be covering today, Quincy Jones was recently honoured at Proms in England. Spike Lee's sixth annual Michael Jackson block party, Brooklyn Loves MJ, and we've got Tarrell and 3T News and a new Michael Jackson calendar. So tune in and enjoy this birthday episode of the MJ cast. Yay. Yeah, we've got a really uh, special guest on the show today, which we're excited about. It's He's a guy that we've been trying to get on the show for a very long time. Um, and we're so glad to finally have him here. He's a very, very dear friend of mine and of the show and also does a lot of work for the MJ cast to help us uh, bring this show to life, which we'll get into a little bit later. So James LA, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. Welcome, James. You're joining us from the United States today. That's right. Yeah, from the uh, Cleveland area. Awesome. And I'm actually joining you from Studio Brisbane. Woo. I'm actually recording uh, in a hotel room today. So it's uh, the mobile studio. So yeah. Hey, hey, Brisbane. Shout out to Brisbane listeners and Michael fans. We're in the same time zone for once. Yeah, we are. I was just going to say that. We are actually <laughs> in the same time zone. Uh, yeah, usually it's two or three hours. Dif- no, it's never three hours because two hours, you yeah. guys don't have daylight savings. Yeah. yeah. So it's usually two hours difference. Um, and it's evening. We don't usually record in the evening time, but it's Early, early morning for James. Yes, the break of dawn. The touch. Six, about 6.30 a.m. here. Oh, please. That's not break of dawn. No, I got up. Um, my usual wake-up time is 3 a.m. Oh, that's brutal, wow. man. I don't know how you do that. Nah, that's crazy. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Hashtag crew life. <laughs> I, love, I love your crew life tweet. Sometimes I just follow the hashtag to see what... What's going on in crew life? <laughs> Very interesting stuff. <laughs> you guys have to deal with I'll some a- pretty crazy scenarios. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it works good. It's fine. Yeah, flying home tomorrow, um, and tomorrow is scheduled to the minute because I, of course, will be, as soon as I land, I have to go and change clothes out of my uniform and into um, just regular clothes, and then I'm driving straight into the city. I'll be attending the Perth Michael Jackson birthday lunch, uh, at Fast Eddie's, shout out to Fast Eddie's, awesome thick shakes. Um, and then after that, I've got to leave that early. So firstly, I'm getting to the the birthday lunch that I helped organize late because of work. And then I'm leaving the lunch early because I've got my Romy and Michelle 
20 year high school reunion to go to. So I'm like literally scheduled to the minute tomorrow. That is a full on day. Yeah, I'm going to be shattered, absolutely shattered at the end of tomorrow. So, but it's all for love. What about the um the luncheon thing you're having, the birthday celebration? That's yeah, um yeah. I saw you talking on Twitter earlier today about some of the money being raised from that going to charity. Yeah, in the past we've um we've done some sort of little just like little money tins where, you know, oh, if you want, you know, or sometimes we've said, oh, you know, $5 donation would be really great um, for these charities and stuff. So uh, I will just bring up the event. So tomorrow we are going to be having two charities um, and one charity is called, uh, it is Michael Jackson's Legacy. So the website for that is michaeljacksonslegacy.org. And the other is the MJFFC, and the website is mjffc.org.uk. So, yeah, we'll just have, like, little donation tins, and the couple of us that attend these events uh, will just – I've got some notes today when I when I got some cash out um, that will be uh, just dropping some money in for those. So, yeah, we like to do that on his birthday every year. That's exciting. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Make make sure you yeah. get some photos so we can tweet them out from the MJCast account and people can see them. Yes, that. I will. Did that last year and I will uh, make sure we do it again. You'll see some familiar Perth faces. Shout out to Julie and Justine and Michelle will be there and me. Hopefully some new faces this year as well. That'll be cool. What are you wearing tomorrow? Like oh, I have MJ t-shirt actually- or... No, I, because I could only really pack what I could bring on this uh, work trip, um, I couldn't really fit much in my crew bag. We haven't got big suitcases or anything. So, yeah, I've just got like a, a nice, a smart sort of jacket. Shout out to Zara and just a shirt from Uniqlo and then just jeans and sneakers. So, yeah, I haven't actually got any MJ stuff to wear to the party tomorrow because I'll be wearing the same outfit down to the uh, Romeo Michelle's 20-year no, high school reunion. Whoa, 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 whoa. There is always an opportunity for MJ stuff. What about finger tape? Come on. I didn't have aviators. finger tape. I don't own aviators because they look terrible on me. Well, I'm, I'm expecting you, Q, to figure out some kind of Michael Jackson thing. You have to do it. Like, not going to happen. Well, nope, not okay. going to happen tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> what about white event, socks? I have packed <laughs> dark socks and you wouldn't see them under jeans anyway. True. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have black loafers anymore. I stopped <laughs> buying them a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. You'll have a great uh, time. That's exciting. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. Just super busy. Yeah, yeah. James, what are your plans for Michael's big day? I guess you could say I'll be uh, celebrating privately. It's always a it's always a sort of special day of celebration and reflection. Unfortunately, I don't have any fan events, at least not uh, in real life, uh, to attend. But uh, there's always so much going on in social media. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure I'll be a lot of fan projects. In fact, uh, when we get to our picks uh, later in the show, um, I've picked out a fan project from a couple of years ago that came out on Michael's birthday. So. I'm sure the community will be celebrating in its own special way all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's great just uh, you know watching watching Twitter, watching Facebook, seeing what the big fan groups are doing, and and different Michael fans from around the world. Very very cool day. Definitely. Yeah. 
So we're going to be starting with um, a recent event in the news, aren't we, Jamin? Yeah, uh, there was a Quincy Jones celebration, I think, recently in England, I believe in London, and it was uh, England's yearly proms event, but this year it was uh, honouring the great Quincy Jones, amazing producer that, that worked with Michael on Thriller, Bad, Off the Wall. Uh, they, I think they, they started working right back in the late 70s, actually, on... Um, on, the, on Wiz. the Wiz. Yeah, The Wiz. So, I mean, Quincy, being a mega producer, has worked with an incredible, incredible roster of artists. But, of course, uh, was was right there with Michael during Michael's uh, brilliant 80s years. So, uh, yeah, big prom celebration for Quincy Jones in London. We were lucky enough to, to, to have uh, Charles Thompson in attendance at the event. And we're just going to cross over to Charles now, who's going to tell us about how the event went. On Monday, August 22nd, more than 5,000 people filled London's Royal Albert Hall for a musical tribute to Quincy Jones. The event was staged as part of the BBC Proms, an annual seven-week series of classical music and big band concerts. Listeners may recall that last September the Jacksons rocked London's Hyde Park when they headlined Proms in the Park on the last night of the 2015 season, performing a 50-minute set of hits accompanied by the BBC Orchestra. Ahead of Monday's concert, Proms organisers promised new arrangements of hits both old and new to celebrate the career of the composer, arranger, conductor, producer and all-round musical giant Quincy Jones. The show didn't disappoint. 36-year-old conductor Jules Buckley said before the show that he wanted to smash the stereotype that classical music concerts were boring affairs for grim-faced old men. He certainly succeeded. He led the Dutch Metropole Orchestra, the world's longest established jazz orchestra, through an eclectic collection of Quincy's arrangements, productions and compositions from throughout his seven-decade career. The night kicked off with a medley of his TV theme tunes for Roots, Ironside and Sanford and Son. Over the next two hours, the set list included numbers from Quincy's film scores, a medley of disco hits and tracks Quincy had produced as recently as this year at age 83 with young artists like Jacob Collier and Cuban pianist Alfredo Rodriguez both of whom were amongst a host of guest performers who took turns joining the orchestra. In a glowing review published after the show, London Jazz News said, Identifying highlights is not easy. It was pretty much all highlight. I tend to agree. It was one of the most varied, unpredictable concerts I've ever attended, interweaving orchestral arrangements with storming pop classics, Latin jazz with guitar-heavy rhythm and blues, and even an a cappella harmony and beatbox number. One masterstroke by Buckley in the first half was to follow Quincy's thunderous brass-heavy arrangement of I Can't Stop Loving You, a 1958 country number by Don Gibson, later popularised as a big band number by Ray Charles, with an acoustic performance of Jacob Collier's In the Real Early Morning, a sparse, haunting ballad. The moving performance marked a sharp change of direction for the show and left the audience in a stunned silence. London Jazz News described Collier's performance as spellbinding, saying, This was an exercise in minimalism. You could hear a pin drop in the vast auditorium as this mere lad of 22 sang and played this lovely but difficult tune with a skill and sensitivity you could hardly credit. Buckley rounded off the first half with the soul bossa nova, best known to many as the Austin Powers theme tune. The tune went down a storm with all quarters of the diverse crowd that had filled the ornate Royal Albert Hall.
During the interval, my friend Angela and I spotted on Twitter that Laura Mvula had announced she would be performing a Michael Jackson number during the second half. As no other artist or film had been allowed more than one track on the set list so far, we assumed that her Michael song would be the only one of the evening, and began trying to guess which it would be. I said I hoped it wouldn't be anything from the Bad Album. Angela looked appalled and said she really hoped it would be something from the Bad Album. I countered that I hoped it would be You Can't Win from The Wiz, at which she flashed a defeated facial expression. As it turned out, we were treated to a trio of Michael Jackson tracks in the latter portion of the second half, all from the Thriller album. They began with an at first unrecognisable human nature, led by young Jacob Collier on piano and vocals. The orchestral arrangement was simply glorious, beginning incredibly subtly, but building to an exhilarating climax of swirling strings. It was a spine-tingling moment, and left me feeling genuinely emotional. Human Nature segued into Billie Jean, which saw Collier and keyboard player Corey Henry scatting and beatboxing into dueling vocoders as they created their own human percussion to accompany drummer Martin Vink. take on a ubiquitous and arguably overplayed song, but that original funky concept was quickly abandoned in favour of Henry simply slowly singing the lyrics through his vocoder. At that point, the performance became slightly monotone and took too long to build to its orchestral crescendo, in my opinion. After an instrumental rendition of Money Runner from Quincy's Dollar Movie soundtrack, Laura Mvula walked on stage clutching a white guitar and launched into a performance of Wanna Be Starting Something. I've never been a particular fan of that as a live number, as vocalists, including Michael on most occasions, usually struggle to keep pace and end up out of breath. Mvula seemed to be suffering the same fate during the early verses, but the song ultimately built to a rousing climax as Buckley turned his back to the orchestra and began conducting the audience, getting the thousand-strong crowd to gleefully clap along at startling volume. Mvula looked dazzled by the spectacle and it was joyous, as it had been at Hyde Park last year, to see such a large audience, not necessarily comprised of Michael Jackson fans, responding with such emphatic positivity to his music. As Wannabe Starting Something came to a close, the man himself, Quincy Jones, emerged onto the stage to a rapturous standing ovation. He pointed out his friends, actor Michael Caine and thriller writer Rod Temperton in the audience, gave a short speech and then conducted the orchestra in a final performance of Let the Good Times Roll, accompanied by all the night's guest stars, 
before exiting to a second standing ovation. It was a thrilling night, a rare chance to hear Michael Jackson's music performed by an orchestra, and an even rarer chance to glimpse Quincy Jones performing live on stage. Of course, no technology can ever properly capture the sound and experience of hearing this music played live in front of you, but the concert was filmed and audio recorded in its entirety, and both recordings are available to UK citizens on the BBC's website. For those of you outside the British Isles, I believe Jamin and Q are about to play you a recording of Jacob Collier's fantastic performance of Human Nature. Just don't tell the BBC. We be doing it. Fantastic arrangement by Vula Malinga, who we heard there with LaDonna Harley-Peters, Tenny Tinks, Brendan Riley, Wayne Hernandez and Jacob Collier doing his thing. And now to two tracks from Michael Jackson's thriller, Human Nature and Billie Jean. Eyes are everywhere. Sweet night. 
This is Rob Hoffman, studio musician and engineer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ cast. Wow, that's a huge honor for uh, Quincy Jones. That's awesome. And I don't know about you guys, but do you, have you guys listened to any of the Quincy Jones albums, the non, his non-Michael work? There's one that I've heard, um, Q's Juke Joint or something like that, some 90s one. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, because there's a, like a PYT remix on there, right? I think so, yeah. It's been a long yeah, time yeah, since yeah. I've heard it. What about you, Q? Um, I haven't got any at home, but sometimes we listen to, well, quite often actually, we listen to like digital radio stations um, and just stream music. And, and the station of choice we listen to at home is like an 80s station. And often there'll be like, um, like Quincy Jones stuff in that. He um I, I remember he did he did the uh some of the music that eventually went into the Kill Bill film, I think. Some of the soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah. He does a lot of film scores. He did the Austin Powers score. I'm sure you guys all know that. He's in it. 
I just discovered his body of work, like maybe a year ago mm. as a fan. And, you know, I think every Michael Jackson fan knows and loves and respects the incredible catalog of work Michael and Quincy have done together. But his own albums are uh, incredible. And it was actually Brad Sunberg at one of his seminars talked about how when he tests um, a new sound system rig or setup, um, he actually uses a track called The Places You Find Love from one of Quincy's albums. And he played it for us on the system. And uh, the album's from like, it's from the Back on the Block album, which is late 80s. So it's an older recording, but it just sounds amazing. And all of Michael's crew, you know, the horn players, uh, Bruce Swedean, uh, Rod Temperton, these are, these are all people that come came to Michael through Quincy, Glenn Ballard, and they really, they're not Michael Jackson albums. Obviously, they don't have Michael Jackson or Michael Jackson's writing, but um, they sound amazing. So mm-hmm. if, if you guys are out there wanting to explore and expand your musical tastes, uh, look into Quincy's albums. I, I've only done a handful of them from the 80s, and I'm sure the older, more jazz-type ones are just as awesome, but explore them. They're amazing. He's, he really is incredible. That's so cool. I think, yeah, I'll have to uh, get a link and check that track out. What was it, what was it called again? Uh, the track that Sundberg played for us yeah. uh, it was called The Places You Find Love. And um, it, it, it has that, that whole album and the album uh, before it too. Uh, there's a track called um, I Know Corita, uh, okay. a, a Spanish-themed uh, track which uh, Brad Sundberg also recommended that just sonically, they're just incredible. The whole, I mean, the whole albums are incredible and uh, they just sound great um, on, uh, uh, just like just the way Michael albums sound on a yeah. great sound system. And, and How uh, old are these, uh, these tracks? Hang on here. Let me get you the name of the first album. It's sort of something I meant. Back on the Block is the later album, so 89. So he probably started it right after the Bad Era. I would guess. And then there's The Dude, which um, is from 1981. And uh, that comes from probably just before the Thriller era. And uh, wow. they sort of feel, the two albums sort of feel like Thriller and Bad, respectively. And um, uh, Michael is actually a guest vocalist on the track The Dude. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's an amazing one. But um, they're just they're just uh, great albums. They're not entirely relevant to the world of MJ, other than the fact that um, a lot of the crew that worked on the Quincy Jones Michael Jackson collaborative albums worked on Quincy Jones's albums, and uh, it, it's just it's it's a fascinating sort of I think a history into that era, and uh, um, we always associate Quincy Jones as as, as Michael fans, we associate him as Michael Jackson's 1980s producer. And uh, you hear from like the off the wall documentary. I mean, I I'm, I'm, wasn't sort of alive for the jazz artist Quincy Jones in the 60s and 70s. And I haven't explored that body of work, the earlier jazz stuff. But it really does show you how interesting and um, unique 
it would have been in the late 70s for a pop act like Michael Jackson to work with a traditional jazz artist. And, uh, you know, he, he's proven himself as a major pop producer through Michael Jackson. But uh, prior to that, he, he was not a contemporary sort of radio-friendly producer. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting. That's sort of why there was a little bit of pushback, I think, from the record company when Michael said, I want Quincy to do my album. Mm. And they were like, oh, I don't know if that would be the best because such different styles. And so, yeah, maybe, yeah, because he hadn't been able to branch out to pop just yet. I think it's incredible that songs of that vintage are getting used by sound engineers now to, to test their new rigs and things like that, like something from completely different era of production and, and instruments is what people like Brad, you know, use now that, that blows my mind. And that says something about the production and the quality of stuff from back then. I, I'm, I'm super into um, home audio. I, I guess I shouldn't say audio production, but just uh, home audio and experiencing music, you know, as, as close as we can get it to the way that, uh, um, you know, it was the format in which it was created in in the studio and, and maybe hearing it the way, for example, Michael Jackson would have heard it when uh, in the studio polishing his tracks. And um, I've asked Brad Sundberg a lot of questions about, you know, because he, Brad Sundberg's post-Michael Jackson career was pretty much in setting up studios and setting up audio high-end yeah. sound systems. Yeah. And... Um, he said, I mean, he, we all are massive Bruce Swidian fans. And uh, Bruce Swidian was, you know, Quincy Jones's engineer. Um, I think for a big bulk of Quincy Jones's career, Bruce came to Michael Jackson through Quincy Jones. And um, any Bruce Swidian track is going to be amazing, no matter what era. And a recommendation Brad Sundberg had, you know, I, I asked him about, uh, um, you know, what format, you know, how, 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 you know, there's a lot of people who argue, you know, FLAC versus MP3 versus AAC versus CD versus vinyl in terms of audio formats. And uh, I asked Brad Sundberg, you know, what format does he recommend? And uh, he believes that, uh, you know, if, if the album, Bruce, the way Bruce, if it's a Bruce Whittian engineered album, uh, Bruce always thought about the end user and, uh, Bruce was very insistent that, uh, everything be remixed for each format. So they, you know, they, they mixed for vinyl, they mixed for tape. When CD came out, they mixed for CD, but their primary audience and Bruce was always concerned about this was, you know, who's going to be hearing this and how are they going to be hearing it in the eighties would have been a vinyl audience. And, uh, um, so a lot of attention was paid to how these tracks are going to play on vinyl. So I think out of respect for that, perhaps, um, maybe Brad was suggesting that uh, vinyl would be the best way, the most original way to hear how Bruce would have intended it. Because especially the you know um, pre-CD albums like Thriller and Bad, uh, they... Uh, they they may not have been mixed. Or, I'm sorry, Thriller off the wall. They may not have been mixed for CD through Bruce. As far as Brad knows, they they probably weren't. Um, 
And uh, so the Quincy albums, I mean, you can listen to them in whatever format you want. They probably sound great, but it is interesting to, to hear that. Uh, um, you know, it sort of got me into vinyl and I, I started, I've always had Michael's albums, but now I'm getting a lot of my favorite albums from that era on vinyl. And uh, um, it is a different experience for sure. On the walk back up to the hotel from having dinner, I actually stumbled across, a, I don't know if it's new or if I've just never noticed it, this sort of vinyl CD store where they've got like um, secondhand CDs and and vinyl and I found uh, Michael section, of course, and they've got like a few seven inches and then the few, uh, is it 12 inch? And I was like, cool. Like just in like the big ones, it was just off the wall and bad. Um, there was a music and me. That was pretty cool. Oh, wow. I think I think it was Music and Me, or was it Lady? Yeah, I think it was Music and Me. Um, but yeah, in the seven inch, there was like a little Michael one from Motown era, and there was a Jermaine Jackson one. Which shop was, like, was this? Rocking it. Horse. Which shop was this? Yeah, Rocking Horse. Yeah. Is it new or is it? No, I've just never noticed it. It's been there forever and ever and ever and ever. Is that the one you always tell me to go in? No, that the one that I tell you to go into is literally for like. I would say 40 meters, 50 meters away from Rocking Horse. You go to the end of, of that little street. So, you you know, you're standing in front of King George Square. Turn left. Yep. And I think it's Ann Street and it's like two stores down. You go up some stairs and it's an old record exchange. And it's like just all secondhand stuff. And there's a the guy that owns it has a massive long beard. And you just ask him, dude get your Michael Jackson stuff out of the back and he comes out with this big box full of Michael memorabilia. You've got to do it one day when you're in Brisbane, you'll see stuff that you'll just go crazy over. <laughs> but no, you need, you need to come to Brisbane. You need to come to Brisbane. We'll do that together. <laughs> I'll take you there. He's got, he's got the, the craziest stuff. He's got like dolls from the eighties and um, like magazines from like Australian magazines talking about Michael coming to Australia to perform like the bad tour, the history tour. That's, that's where I bought my original bad tour program. Sweet. Which I love, but yeah, rocking horse is really good too. That's cool that they've got vinyl there. I think I bought a one more chance vinyl there in the day, actually at that shop. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. I can't believe I'd never noticed it before. Yeah. So. That's cool. That's interesting to hear James. It's it's just it's it's fun. It's an, it's those sort of things that you know in this, um, uh, you know, things have slowed down so much in the amount of output we're going to get from or within the world of Michael Jackson. That I know for me as a fan, you know, I, I sort of I sort of expand and stretch myself. Going into Quincy Jones's work, for example, which is definitely related to Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson's history. It is Michael Jackson's history in a lot of way. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and you know, the, I just started getting into the vinyl thing. I think what makes it for me a, a new and unique experience for being a Michael Jackson fan is so much about music has gotten, um, so much of the music experience has sort of shifted and changed in good ways and bad ways. But I think a lot of us probably listen to music on the go, in the car, on our headphones, while we're working out. It's not often you just put it on and just sit there and listen. And yep. uh, vinyl forces you to do that because, you know, you can't put a, um LP player in your pocket <laughs> and uh, hit the road. Maybe um, you can put on a skateboard and drag it behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, and, if, and 
I, I think, you know, when we were kids and even sometimes still today, we might get the chance, but you know, if, if take the songs you love, even if it's not on vinyl, put them on, turn off the lights in the room and just sit in the center, that bliss point for where you're, you know, speakers or whatever. If, you know, a lot of people have headphones today and do that too. And just sit there and close your eyes and just listen. And that alone is a new old experience. And, and, uh, you know, it's sort of like my own form of meditation. And, um, if you don't do that, take some time and do that. Maybe it's a good way to celebrate Michael's birthday. Yeah. That sounds like the perfect way. That's a great, that's a great idea. I do that sometimes. And there's certain songs that just take you on that crazy journey. And I think for me, Earth Song is that one. Like if I'm if I'm alone in a room and the lights are off and I've got my earphones on, Earth Song is the one that just just I my whole body will be covered in goosebumps when I do that. It's just <laughs> incredible experience. Yeah. 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 Earth Song. Will you be there? Yeah. It's another one that it, it's very uh, cathartic experience it it's yeah it's amazing it used to be such a like uh, an event when a michael album first was released for your first ever listen to it you wanted to make sure you had the comfiest position like really nice and quiet you know you had your whatever your current best stereo of the day was or your sound system and you 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 wanted to devote the time so there was no interruptions and you wanted to be able to maybe listen to it as loud as you could and then you're going to listen to it again with headphones to to appreciate it a second listen um yeah it used to be such an event i remember sort of doing that with history and invincible um, when you when the first time you had the album in your hands at home, like okay, this is this is the moment I've been waiting years for this release, and you would get everything lined up. And I'm sure there's so many fans out there that that was such an event for them, and they would have their little sort of moment of just doing that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and you know, it's and some of that's you know, it's it's. You know, our, our circumstances and our technology have given us the opportunity um, to be far more portable with our music. But, you know, we, I think we've forgotten the way that music was meant to be experienced. And it, it is that way. It's to just sit down and just absorb yourself into it. Um, like, you, like you're watching a movie. Yeah. Um, I feel that this, is, this conversation is one that Q and I have had a little bit on the show and it's I think it's the case for all kind of Michael Jackson media not not just music but in general even video like now you can you can be sitting on a bus you can be on a train you can be walking you can be anywhere and you can have a YouTube video open of any Michael Jackson video ever pretty much but in the day yeah. it was such an experience to receive something in the post or, or whatever um, to when, see it on TV, yeah. When when YouTube wasn't around, TV. and it, yeah. I guess it's the same as well with with music. It's yeah, it's a different day and age. It's it's kind of like we've replaced that special moment of really sitting down and and engaging with something like crazy with the convenience having with of having as much as we want whenever we want, For and sure. even and, something physical like holding something physical, like something the best thing that many people won't even know about like whole, uh, is an LP is that holding the LP and opening it up 
and uh, the beautiful artwork and, you know, the big booklet or, or what the actual LP is held in is so awesome. And then CD the, the covers, smell. that was so good. The smell, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, there's a very unique vinyl LP smell that you just can't – you don't get with anything else, yeah. Um, it's it's fun. And, you know, I've, I've always been – you know, I, I love – I'm very – sort of technical and data driven and um you know uh, you know I, I have friends especially online who i've argued with in the past about the vinyl versus digital debate and, and the truth is is digital raw digital so not um necessarily mp3 but it is cd is superior um but i think what woke me up was uh mr sunberg's point which was that they were cre- if it was created during a vinyl era, it was meant to be heard on vinyl, especially yeah. if it's if it's someone like Bruce Wadian who would who is constantly considering how we're going to be interacting with it. Yeah, and um, and there's a lot to that, not just production, but you know the 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 order of the tracks because today, at least even CDs, a you know it's somewhat of an album experience, but now with digital files it's i mean it's shuffle and playlists and it's the ringtone era listen to th- right and uh which uh, by the way i'm not like an old man complaining about these things because you know i'm probably the biggest consumer of them i love them but um you know we're talking about uh art and uh sort of analyzing the art and respecting the art and appreciating the art um you know if, if it was explore it the way it was meant to be consumed when it was created. And if, yeah. you know, if it's a newer, if it's a new album, consume it in today's medium. If it's an old album, on occasion, appreciate and experience the way um, it was meant to be heard when it came out. We're in the process of moving house and I've packed up a good chunk of my library. I've so I made some amazing sort of MJ collection discoveries that I sort of, had put away in cupboards or boxes and not really been able to have out or sort of get into, but I haven't packed my vinyl collection yet because I'm really nervous about packing it and how I'm going to pack it. And should I just transport it myself? Like I've got like a good little Michael collection that I haven't even got a, like a LP player. So I can't even listen to it. Like I've got like the, this time round 12 inch vinyl that I've never heard but I've only heard the mixes from YouTube, but I've never actually played that non that single that was never even released. I've got like white label mixes and I've got Michael 12 inches and albums and oh, I've never even like listened to them. Wow. I, I have that. I have that one too. And actually I've never listened to it either, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Mm. Well, I will wonder, like you can get like a little, vinyl player like i'm sure the quality of the uh, sound isn't super super amazing but you can get like vinyl um lp players like for quite decent price now and they're quite common like even in like the technology shops there'll be all the stuff the digital stuff but then they'll be selling lp players and i'm like i really need to get one yeah there there's a i don't know if it's still ongoing i feel like it is there's a huge resurgence in it and, and there's a um yeah you can go to any electronic shop now and buy um, an LP player, which you wouldn't have been able to five, ten years ago. It was um, a, it's I think the the fastest growing you know music f- uh, format 
in the last couple of years. So it's doing gangbusters. Yeah, and and actually, I read an article that is the one of the best ways to support the artist because on total side track, but uh, if there's an artist you love, because uh, a lot of times uh, the way their record deals are put together, the vinyl is considered merchandise, yeah. not an album. Isn't that hilarious? Where it, it's called the wow. record business, and wow. it, it's gotten so. You know, we call them records, an LP. You know, the technology has come so far that, like, it's they're not even considered records anymore. They're considered merchandise. And I guess they usually get a bigger cut out of the merchandise sale than they would, yeah. you know, and, and quite, CD sale. And quite often when you I, – I buy a lot of music direct from sort of artists' websites, I guess. And – Quite often when you do that and you go to actual artists' stores, they've got great packages where you can get maybe like a vinyl and a T-shirt and like a sticker pack or something, you know, like a like a set of something, which I think really supports the artist as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's Sorry so for cool. this giant distraction, guys. So no. point is, if you're looking for a new Michael Jackson experience, get at least um, The Dude, Quincy Jones' The Dude, Get Quincy Jones's Back on the Block. Um, they're great albums, and and they they feel almost like Michael albums, and uh, uh, you'll have a lot of you'll ha- you'll have a great experience with them. You'll enjoy them. They're they're great stuff. Yeah, well, that's one of the best parts about being a Michael Jackson fan. I think is exploring those uh, you know collaborators that worked with him and 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 their own work uh, as well to see what they brought to the table. Uh, when they worked with Michael, it's a lot of fun, and one of those one of those collaborators actually um, is putting on a, a pretty special event coming up soon in Brooklyn, uh, in New York, to celebrate uh, Michael Jackson's birthday. So it's uh, Spike Lee's sixth annual Michael Jackson Block Party. Brooklyn loves MJ. It's happening August twenty seventh, actually. So <laughs> um, pretty soon. Uh, it's between before the- yeah before this show goes to air yeah yeah oh well I don't know I was thinking about releasing a bit earlier than we said but we we can chat about okay. that but yeah uh, between Lexington Avenue and Quincy Street <laughs> ironically in Brooklyn uh, twelve till six p.m. and of course the the DJ that'll be uh, putting on this event is DJ Spinner uh, so it'll be a fantastic fantastic show lots of great Michael Jackson songs being remixed and and played for you there so i hope i hope people get to to go to that because it's always you know one of the biggest and best michael jackson events of the year spike lee does a great job with it i always love seeing the footage and pictures that come out of the uh, brooklyn loves mj event every year it's just awesome i'd you know i'd love to be that like that white boy out there dancing <laughs> <laughs> in brooklyn <laughs> sticking out like a sore thumb and just you know being so at one with everyone in the music, it'd be so cool. Yeah, I mean, say what say what you want about Spike Lee, and and like he's, you know, uh, I don't know the the documentaries that he's put out. The some people love him, some people don't like him, whatever. But you got to admit that like doing this every year, six years in a row, is an amazing thing to celebrate his legacy, and he just yeah. does a great job. I'm I'm going one of these years. I, I it's inexcusable that I haven't yet because it, it's. I always said I wanted to go. Yeah. Can't go this year. I will go next year. I have to. I will. All right. All right. We'll do a live cross. Yes. You guys, no, you guys come too. You guys come too. We'll all go. We'll be live from 
Brooklyn loves MJ. Uh, next year, got some other travel plans, so I'm not sure I have the budget would stretch to New York as well. But yeah, maybe one year I'll try and key it up that I'm there at the right time. We have to do that sometime, yeah. Q. We have to do yeah. a live from something MJ cast <laughs> at some point. I've got like <laughs> a I've got a tip uh, from my mate Aiden um, of what microphone I could use to sort of record out in the field with. Yeah, yeah. So. I love the artwork. Yes. Have you seen, like the, the poster work and the, the banner ads they're doing for it. Oh my God. It's Beautiful. so simple and just brilliant. Just perfect. Probably yeah. the best, I reckon the best, some of the best artwork he's had for this whole event over the years. I think so. It keeps getting better all the time. Mm, and that's something you're a bit sure. of an expert in, aren't you, James marketing? Oh, I wouldn't say expert. It's the, <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the career path that I, I guess you could say I've chosen. I don't. I didn't. Yes, I work in marketing, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like the. Uh, I th- I think the um, the social component to Brooklyn Loves MJ, and I I, I bet I haven't been to see what happens on the street there, but I bet you the street campaign for the celebration. I mean, it always looks packed. I mean, yeah, everyone in that community it looks like they come out for it over there and uh um yeah yeah i bet you it's just a lot of fun but there's a lot of love i love the footage that i see from it and um i think it's um it's it's really i think what makes the spike lee's work so important for the fan community and and just the community as a whole Really, it's for, and forgive me for saying this, because I don't know if this is directly his mission, but it, it seems to me that um, it's important for Spike to honor Michael Jackson as a prominent, proud member of the black American community in America. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and uh, it, it's it's so relevant and so important and... Um, I think, I th- I think, Michael um, would appreciate it in a lot of ways. Uh, oh yeah, that there has been no community um, more loyal and faithful and true to Michael Jackson outside the Michael Jackson fan community, of course, than the Black American community. And uh, um, it, I, I think it's it's just a beautiful thing. It's 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 very touching to see absolutely yeah i love that as well it's so important and his um his his work with michael i guess as well reflects um reflects that and i hope we get to see more from spike he he films a lot of these events and they i remember um actually i think it was in the credits of uh the off the wall documentary that he actually had footage from a previous brooklyn love mj show i think yeah, the the ending has this like rap poem thing that I liked it. That it was, the lemon it, I mean, guy, so what was his weird. name? Lemon. It's so, yeah, it is so cool. It is the coolest thing. Yeah, I mean, it completely irrelevant to off the wall, but <laughs> but like you know, it, it's so cool. I can see why you put it in there. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I bet you the I bet you the amount of love. I mean, I know the amount of love there is overwhelming because it is just seeing it at a distance, but I bet you it, it's just a, an overwhelming, beautiful 
loving crowd. It'd be great, great to see a lot like the crowd. I've been to Gary for the birthday celebrations, and um, I bet you it's it's a lot like that. Uh, a lot of spirit is probably there. Which year did you go to Gary? Uh, 2010. Oh, great. Uh, so I, I don't know if it is one of the bigger ones or not, but it, you know, it was definitely fresh and Catherine and the kids were there. And, um, uh, I'm from the Chicago area originally. And, uh, so every time I go back to visit family in Chicago, I, I, I always make a stop, um, at 2300 Jackson street. And, uh, it, it really is, uh, the community there, you know, it's, it's, uh, it hasn't had its best years recently. And, uh, I think they, they cling to, um, the Jacksons and Michael Jackson as a major source of inspiration for them. And, and, uh, I don't, I don't know if you guys, it sounds like you probably have been there, right Q? We've been, I haven't been to the house, but I've sort of driven through Gary by accident. There was, um, freeway works and there was a detour and the signage wasn't great and the, the, the road network wasn't even that great to try and follow. And yeah. we sort of ended up circling through Gary twice, but we were on our way to um, so Chicago. We're going to Indianapolis and we were sort of on a schedule. So we couldn't then bust out the nav system and try and figure out where the house was. So I only drove through Gary. Yeah. I, I mean, if it, seeing their home, 2300 Jackson Street, seeing the street they grew up on, um, you know, it's, it's very deprived now. And but, but you could tell even in its glory years, I mean, this house is, at least by American standards, so small. It's unbelievable that all those kids and Catherine and Joseph crammed into this house. And um, I, I imagine if you were a, a kid growing up in that community today and uh, all the hardships you probably see every single day in your life there, um, I imagine the fact that the biggest, most famous, brilliant artists in history grew up in your neighborhood sort of uh, removes the ceiling that uh, society would otherwise impose on you. And, and, uh, and you definitely feel that when you're there for the birthday celebration, that like, if, if he can do it, if they can do it, the Jacksons can do it, we can do it. There really is no ceiling or boundaries to uh, who we can become. And uh, it, it's, it's inspiring. It's definitely inspiring. As an MJ fan... What does it feel like for you personally to actually see that house? Like what sort of feelings did you get? Well, it's first, first of all, it's sort of funny that um, I'm sure a lot of fans know that there's this granite engra- laser engraved yeah. um, monument in front of the house that one of the images on the monument is actually of a impersonator tribute artist um, is that the e casanova picture i i believe so yes yeah. so that's kind of totally it's total aside but it's kind of funny it's it uh it's the most well-kept house on the block um and uh there's there's a house for sale next to it and i've I, i've always sort of dreamed and it's been for sale forever 
I have no idea what the asking price is or anything, but I've always like sort of dreamed one day if I'm like really rich or something, I'm going to buy that house and turn it into like a little uh, uh, Jackson's museum or something. It'd be a lot of fun. But, that would um, be awesome. Yeah, I, I think what it's just, it really is an amazing inspirational thing to see because the, the Michael especially is so larger than life. And especially as time goes on and we realize more and more how irreplaceable he truly is, he becomes more legend-like. But he was just a kid. He was one of, what is it, seven kids, eight kids? How many kids in the Jackson family? Um, eight originally. You know, on, on, in, and uh, forgive me for saying this, but he was he, a little, he was a, a you know, black kid from a, in a black neighborhood, especially in the 60s. There was only so far you could go. And um, uh, he went so far beyond that. And he broke every limitation. And, I, you know, I don't particularly have the same limitations he had, but we all have our limitations. And, I, you know, I, I have limitations that are imposed on me or I impose on myself. And to know that you can come from total poverty and become the biggest thing on the planet, if that's your goal, you can do it because he did it. And I assure you, his opposition is probably far worse than my opposition today. And uh, yeah, it's important. And I think like Michael has always had the sense that he is, I, I think that he is speaking to audiences that, He's a member of the black community, and I, I think it's it's taken a lot of that is taken away from him. Um, whether it's because of his unfortunate circumstance with vitiligo and his skin color, whether it's you know uh, record executives who, who who believe he's more marketable, especially maybe posthumously, as you know, I, I think I think racial identity plays a major role in how Michael is presented to us. Um, to the mainstream audiences, at least. And, uh, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but, you know, the estate acts like, you know, Michael Jackson died in 1991 because apparently nothing happened after that in his career, mm. even though it's his most prolific and profound and self-respective work. Songs like, you know, They Don't Care About Us. Look at, look at, look at our, our you know, look at the news today, these last several years. Michael was speaking to to these issues that um, minorities in America face today. He was speaking to them twenty years ago. Twenty and years ago. Twenty years ago. They don't care about us. Should be the theme to Black Lives Matter. I mean, it, it, it is the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, song. it's it's sort of become internationally. Like you've seen it chanted in the streets of not only the U S now, but even like over in Europe and like over across in London. And I cannot imagine how Michael would have felt seeing mm. his song, his lyrics being chanted through the streets in defiance and in protest. And 
you know, even heal the world after horrific, like, uh, massacres. You know, there's videos of people singing heal the world. Yeah. That has become an anthem now. And that's from, like, 1991. It's, a, yeah. it's incredible that it's they're finally seeing the light of day in, in the way and, that they should have been before. And, you know, we talk about this is so – this is – for me, this is the most important component – you know, we're talking about celebrating Michael's legacy, right? I th- I think Michael's social consciousness was so profound, and it, we are so missing that today. You know, when's when have we had a social anthem? We have. There's no shortage of superstars today. You know, we're going to talk about Rihanna winning the uh, Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award, and I know the award isn't about social responsibility, but and I and I know artists like Rihanna certainly care about the issues we're facing. But where are the songs? Where are the social anthems? Is that why you, know, you think um, Beyonce's Lemonade album and and her some of her recent tracks caused such a stir because there really is no one using their voice at the moment? Do you think that's I why think, in America was such a shock? Like, whoa, hang yeah, on. I know. She's black. The Super Bowl She's performance black. And, yeah, the Super Bowl. That people. Was, yeah, what the hell? I, well, I think politically we are in a very polarized society where it's sort of, I think it's dangerous to have an opinion if, if you are a celebrity, if you're a superstar. I mean, going back to, you know, the Dixie Chicks, if you remember their comments. Oh, yeah. About, which I feel like today would be totally, you know, totally validated. They, I, I, I mean, I not to express my personal opinion, but I, I feel like they were sort of ahead of the curve of what would eventually become the general accepted consciousness about what was going on. And, um, uh, you know, I think if you are a major pop act, and this could be because of the labels um, and the the marketing people and the um, record executives saying, look, you, you can't be polarizing. You can't, you, you can't make issue songs. Um, mm. Look at Macklemore, who had a phenomenal issue song. I mean, all his songs are songs with great social messages. But look at Same Love, which I guess you could consider a social anthem. Look at the effect it had. Look at... People always tell me, you know, not always, but people say, you know, oh, you think ads really work or you're, you know, you think your ads really work. I can tell you the amount of data and science that goes into writing and creating the perfect ad and how a headline or how a simple word change will dramatically affect the way people respond, get out their wallets and buy. Ads work. Therefore, messages work. How could, how could, you know, we sit here and, and say a hokey heal the world song or a hokey, you know, um, marriage equality, same love song doesn't have an effect on people. They do a massive effect. And, uh, you know, did is the same love directly responsible for marriage equality passing? Not directly, but our most progressive state in the U.S., California, in 2008, voted down marriage equality. If California wasn't going to pass it, no one was going to pass it. This was in 2008. 
by 2012, a majority of the country supported marriage equality, a massive shift in four years. And then, of course, by 2015, last year, it was completely legal. And the issue seems almost ridiculous because it's so over and such old news and everything is great and it happened and, you know, the world moves on and it's actually a better place, not a worse place. Um, but what happened in those four years where it went from a losing issue to a winning issue? We had songs like Same Love. We had characters like Kurt from Glee. We had, you know, we had the entertainment industry, or I should say the artists in the entertainment industry, um, vocalize and communicate um, and express their feelings on those issues. And it created profound, real change. So for the world to be missing an artist like Michael Jackson, who constantly talked about social issues and constantly talked about the plight of the planet, um, you, you know, uh, childhood and the importance of childhood. Uh, mm. Parents we're, we're, and how they raise their kids and, and things and, like that. And the, and the fact that we're missing that today in music, I mean, that could be a terrible, terrible, regressive, non-progressive, regressive change to the art form. Yeah. And uh, I, I think all of us, I mean, I mean, I've never met a Michael Jackson fan who does not share um, those values. I mean, we were shaped by them and they were massive hit songs. The whole world in some way was shaped by them. So uh, that's his legacy. And, uh, you know, to, to the superstar acts, if there's any artists listening to this show, you know, <laughs> you've been inspired by his... You've been inspired by his dance moves. You've been inspired by his videos. You've been inspired by his fashion. Be inspired by his messages, and um, and and do that because yep. that um, is yeah. the legacy. That is the legacy. The the music is just the the form in which it was delivered. Yeah, for sure. The last song I can think of in that vein on the scale that Michael Jackson would have done it, that I loved, was um, Prince's Baltimore. And uh, to that, me, that didn't... Like, that was an incredible song, but to me, the scale of it was small. I don't know, man. I listened to that today, and it just it just soars. Like, I, I just think it's incredible. And I, I guess I, I raise it because I agree that there's just not a lot of artists doing that kind of thing, and that, that stands out as a real diamond in the rough for me. But sadly, it didn't get like mainstream attention. No, no. well, no, it didn't. And um, now that I think about it, like uh, uh, I think I've, in the last five minutes, literally figured out what's going on. And it, there, there is a lot of artists. The last few years, this sort of self—how do I say it? Like, uh, like in self, independent artists. So, no, the self motivational theme songs like uh sarah Bareilles, brave songs like katy perry roar there's there's a lot of these like um pick yourself up you can do it inspirational type songs which are great and there's definitely a need for that and um uh i i think the not to say that it's a a business that's run by 
you know, marketers, but it is, every business is. I think they found that as a safe, non-polarizing thing to talk about. Uh, Katy Perry Rise, she's got a new, her new, her latest single is just sort of, it's it's more uh, of a micro, almost self-centered approach to so- social messages um, rather than a wider approach to political injustice or, I mean, I mean, there's not, these, these artists are amazing artists. I mean, there, there's, they, they are very talented and they're great. I mean, the songwriting quality today is amazing in a lot of artists. The problem is, I think the messages and, and perhaps it's that they're not allowed having those messages because they're not corporately and commercially viable. Um, I mean, you're, you know, like literally the ice caps are melting and we are drowning in water and we are losing major cities. And that has not inspired not one artist to write a song about that. Mm. You know, of, of course it has. Someone out there is doing it. And it's probably not because they're bad songs. They're just not marketable songs because of the politics today. It's a shame. Huge shame. Huge shame. Money rules everything. Yeah, it does. And that's and the, and the brilliance to Michael was that he, you know, when I'm a, I'm a, you know, I was, how old was I when songs like Black or White came out? You know, I, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I do generally, but like, it's just a great song. It's just a cool video. It's just a, you know, it, it's, he crafted deep messages within very superficially attractive packages and um uh there, there were trojan horses you know they were total trojan horse oh my god <laughs> that's a great way to put it <laughs> that is so perfect perfect yeah yeah i bet elizabeth and karen of uh the mj as they would just be like oh my god that's so right yeah mj af what's that MJAS, that's the um, Michael Jackson Journal of Academic Studies. They do a, a great little podcast as well called A Dream Lives On. And, yeah, they, they would I, be oh, that's, just... I've been meaning to check that one out. I, so that's oh, the kind of stuff I yeah. love the most. I love that. I mean, the it's constant surprise when you learn. I mean, there's so many examples, a lot of which I don't know if like fans have talked about, and I don't want to get anything wrong or repeat something that maybe the, this podcast has already covered, but you know, constant surprise. It, it, here's a, here's a little funny story and it kind of relates to the topic we're talking to about the black American community and, and Michael Jackson. So one day I'm, I'm in my car listening to um, NPR and I'm not even really listening to it. It's just on. And there's a song that plays. It actually, it was a program, believe it or not, about uh, black music in America and uh, they play, the this, this song comes on, and it is, the, it is the melody from Will You Be There? I'm like, what? And it's this old-time song, and uh, it's called Bless You for Being an Angel. And it, it was a 1939 hit by an, a, a group called The Ink Spots. And the melody in Will You Be There's verse, in my opinion is directly inspired by this um, 1939 track. And so what is this track? This track is considered the first national hit 
number, I believe it was a number one hit by a black artist in America. And now, there's the, no way Michael would not have known that. He would have, that would have been in his research and his delving into history. He would have definitely discovered and been inspired by that. Certainly, certainly. And, and I'm not suggesting, and definitely listen, you know, it's on YouTube. Fine, bless you for being an angel. I'm not suggesting Michael stole it. Michael planted it within Will You Be There. It's not there because he stole the melody or he plucked the melody. He planted it in there um, as a as a tribute and acknowledgement of um, of his roots. He's you know he was here where he is today in that moment um, because of artists like the Ink Spots. Those and, that came um, before him, those that paved the way for him as a kid in Gary to aspire to be something bigger and the greatest. How about this? This is something I'm not sure has been talked about. And I don't, I don't want to say it's an independent discovery, but I, I was playing a, a track called People of the World. Obviously, everyone knows that. Michael Jackson, not everyone knows that, but anyone on this podcast, listening to this podcast, probably knows People of the World, an unreleased Michael Jackson song. Um. I was playing it for my uh, a good friend of mine named Jennifer, who's just a casual Michael Jackson fan, and she goes, "Just this is Sukiyaki." And I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" I was like, "No, this is People of the World." He goes, "No, it's a Japanese song called Sukiyaki." So I'm like, "Oh, you mean the you know we all know that People of the World was demoed by written by Michael Michael Jackson created a demo, but for you know." Two decades, all we knew of it was the J Friends, the Japanese pop group, who recorded "People of the World." So I thought at first she she was familiar with the J Friends version. I, you know, so I played that. She was no, 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 no. This is Sukiyaki. So I look up Sukiyaki on YouTube, and undoubtedly, Sukiyaki is it. They share a the. Same thing as like, will you be there? The, the 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 melodic component in the verse is nearly identical. And um, so, what's Sukiyaki? Sukiyaki was the first. It was a it was a 1960s hit in America. Um, I don't know if it was a huge huge hit, but um, uh, in Japan, it was a it's a, it is a massive massive song. They Crowds sing it at baseball games, like the way we sing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" in America, and uh, they they sing this song called "Sukiyaki," and it's a great melody. And so, this is all you know, speculative on my part, but perhaps Michael knew this song would end up being sung by a Japanese act, and he incorporated this famous Japanese melody into the song. And uh, lo and behold. A year or two later, a couple months ago, a YouTube video, someone posted a video on YouTube of rare footage from Michael Jackson's visit in Japan um, in 2007, and he's doing a photo shoot with a bunch of kids. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the video I'm talking about. And the, the video catches Michael talking to these kids about Tsukiyaki. He goes, my favorite he says something like, he goes, do you guys know Sukiyaki? And all the kids are like, yeah. He's like, that's my, that's my favorite. Wow. I'm assuming favorite Japanese song. So, you know, 
it's speculative to suggest that Michael took Bessie for being an angel and will you be there? It's speculative to suggest that Michael took um, Sukiyaki and planted Sukiyaki into uh, people of the world. But, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence to sort of say he was doing that. And that kind of mystery and the debate that that could spark and, and, and this sort of scholarship and studying that um, we could be doing on his genius. I mean, it, it could take, I'm not kidding you, centuries of study to sort of figure out what the hell are in these songs and in these videos and in these words and in these lyrics and in these melodies. Who knows the mysteries and surprises that are in store? It could, it be, break, it could be incredible. It breaks my heart that we can't ask Michael these exact questions that just like the amount of knowledge and, yeah. and thought and the depth of his art, you know, we'll never get to the bottom of it now ever. And even when Based he was around heart. that no one ever tried to, when he was around because we just, no one was even aware of it really. They were too busy asking about his nose. That's it. I feel like I'm getting schooled by Brad Thunberg or something here. I feel like I'm in class. Man, James, this is awesome. I actually feel really, really, really terrible. Why? And I hope you guys edit this way now. <laughs> <laughs> no, our audience, like, our audience love so, long shows. Trust me. That came back in a I'm so ADD that I've like, I mean, we're talking about Sukiyaki from Spike Lee. How the <laughs> hell did we get down this path? <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, it's all good. You're schooling us, and I reckon a lot of people are going to be, like, loving this. And, and this is, you know, like, learning stuff and educating. That's sort of a big part of what we try and bring, and, and that's why we get different people on because it opens up new windows and new vistas for us as well as uh, the listeners. So it is and, awesome, and it is cool. And it's it's all it's all – I mean, so much. It's it's opinion. It's speculation. It's um, you know. It's it's always important to me that we separate speculation from fact. Um, and uh, you know, every fact we've ever uncovered in humanity has always begun as speculation. Um, but uh, this is. I mean, this isn't all. You know, it's not for me. This is. I mean, conversations I've had with you guys. Conversations I've had with people like Damien and um, Damien Shields uh, and I could name other people, but I sort of want to respect people's privacies and not name drop them on these podcasts. But you, you know who you are out there who've, you know, this is what we talk about. This is the other part of Michael's amazing legacy is, you know, what he's done for us as a fan community. I, I think, you know, I don't know what he saw us as and, um, you know, certainly he knows the connection he has to us. He certainly knows the connection we have to him. But um, I think he would be so proud to know the connection we have to each other yeah. in terms of us as fans and our friendship and our camaraderie and our community. That is, you know, I, I think if, if he was aware of it and if, especially if he could see it today, um, uh, my God, he would, I mean, he, I think he would be so proud and so happy to know how much we all love each other 
and um, uh, the friendships we all have. It's it's amazing. So that's where this comes from. All this stuff, like this, is just what we talk about as fans. <laughs> that's the point of the show. This is this is that's the whole point of the show, and it's a discussion as well as news show. So yeah, speculation and opinion. That is us. That is what this is. So. is everything to me. I love the fact that you can write something, create something, and it can affect people, it can bring happiness, it can bring joy, it can inspire, it can change the world. That's why I love it. Hey! 
I work day and night, night and day. But that's what it takes. I'm excited for this journey. So in this series, I invite you to follow me all around the world and get to know me as I set out to hit the main stage. Take care of each other and remember, always believe. Hey, I'm Lavelle Smith Jr. Thanks for joining us on the MJ Cast. Well, there we go. That's Tarrell Jackson's Best of All Time, a beautiful tribute song to his uncle Michael. You can pick it up on the Undeniable album uh, on iTunes. It came out on August 29th, 2012. You also just heard a little promo clip, a trailer that can be found on Tarrell Jackson's Instagram and YouTube account and uh, website as well. He's got a new project coming out really soon that we're very, very excited about. And you could hear some of the new music from that project just in that clip. Uh, look, I really encourage you to go to tarrell.com. He's got so much information on there about his new EDM project. It's incredibly exciting. We can't wait for it to hit. And uh, we'll be keeping all eyes on Tarrell. You've, you've been to Brad Sundberg's in the studio with MJ before, haven't you, James? Uh, yes, a couple of times, yeah. A couple of damn lucky man, lucky man. Awesome. Hopefully, uh, we here in Australia will get our chance in January in uh, 2017. So I'm hoping that I'll have the budget to attend that myself, and hopefully you'll be around as well, Jamin. Yeah, the the plan is to hopefully to hopefully do that. There's a chance I might be over in China, so we'll see what, what happens. Hopefully, yeah, not. sister-in-law's uh, getting married, so. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, I guess you can't miss that. But, hopefully the stars align. Um, hopefully. He's, have you seen the new promo video for uh, the yeah. seminars? Yes. Yes, actually, I have. And there's a little special something going on in the background. Speaking of, like, songs that people might not know about, uh, yeah, I hadn't heard of this song before. Me neither. I'd never heard of it. It sounds pretty cool. I like it. It's just, um, it's bare bones. It's yeah. just like a very basic demo, like sounds. But it's got, it's got a vocal track. I mean, there's, there's a million Michael songs and demos out there with no vocals. So I was really excited to hear it because it has a vocal. And Did you um, see this promo video, James, and pick up on the yeah. this track oh, playing man. in the background? Man, well, I saw it. Um, I didn't even know about it until um, uh, you had prepared the notes for me to. Uh, prepare for this podcast. Oh, cool. And uh, so, I, oh my God, those vocals, like, holy crap. And uh, I feel like I've, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've heard the title existing before. Yeah, that's, it's so surprising. I know, like, it's been, it's been a few years since I've been to um, the, uh, I've been to two. I've been to an LA one. I went to the, uh, sort of MJ birthday week, LA one in, um, 2014. And then I went to, uh, the first Toronto one, um, which I think it would have been 2013. And, um, shout out to uh, our Canadian was... listeners. Yes. 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 Have a maple um, latte for me. Thank you. Love, love Canada. I'm married a Canadian. Um, Oh, I love it. It was beautiful there. But um, uh, there were very similar shows. I know it's evolved. I guess, I, seminars, I shouldn't be calling them shows. I guess they've evolved a lot since then. So I'd love to check out um, the more contemporary uh, seminars. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, when he would play 
I don't know if I should be talking about this. I'll be very vague. But uh, there were moments where he asked us not to talk about some of the stuff he was playing. I don't know if that was for... I don't know what the reason is for that. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But when, when he would, it'd always be, you know, um, I shouldn't say not exciting, but it was never like stuff, oh my God, you never knew existed. <laughs> um, and uh, so for him to do this in a video of all things, to play a totally unheard of track um, is super interesting, which makes me really wonder what he, what, what he plays at, at these uh, seminars today, because he might be playing all sorts of stuff and the, the uh, audiences might be doing a really good job at sort of <laughs> keeping, keeping it well, keeping it private. Yeah. His newer seminars, I mean, the ones that are, that are coming up are called Brad times two which means Brad Buxer. So he's doing these current um, seminars with Brad Buxer, with Michael Prince, uh, with people that we know have a lot of unreleased Michael material that they recorded very late in his career. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's things being played that are pretty jaw-dropping. I don't know that for sure, but now would be a special time to be going. Yeah, and and good good on the... uh good on the audience for keeping it on the DL if, yeah. uh, if, if that's what they're doing. Um, although I would love to know, I respect the fact that, uh, they're not, um, s- sort of spreading it. So that's cool. Yeah. New music coming from another, uh, member of the Jackson family, Terrell Jackson, uh, singer of three T and uh, music producer. Uh, he's relaunching his career, I guess. He's still a solo career, solo artist. He's had solo albums before, but uh, his new stuff seems to be coming out under just the name Tarrell rather than Tarrell Jackson. You can go to tarrell.com uh, to see what his new website looks like, his, his new image, new look, new music, new uh, videos, all kinds of stuff. There's really, really cool stuff there. Uh, there's, he, beard is looking hot, Tarrell, the, the by the way. The beard is good. The beard is good. Yeah, good look, man. Good look. Handsome <laughs> yeah, as. Sure. He looks great. <laughs> handsome AF. And I'm really excited for this. Like the new music's taking a different direction. It's It's got a more electronic flavor rather than sort of R&B pop stuff. And uh, it's really cool. I love it. Can I just say, like in, in regards to what we were discussing earlier about messages and song and stuff. Yeah. Um, the Jacksons in general have all tried to – or not tried, they all have had uh, social conscious messages embedded in their music. And I can see that in this very early stage of the Tarot stuff. Yeah. Like love and look out for each other and togetherness and that is coming through just in these little tiny snippets that we're getting of uh, the EP. And I think that is, it's such a rare thing. And I think it's awesome. Awesome. So good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm really looking forward to hearing these tracks in full. Yeah, me too. Like, I am so excited. And and there's more than just music coming. Like he's got a um, docuseries coming out, I think, called Road to the Main Stage. Yeah, it could be like a maybe YouTube sort of exclusive little series. That looks really cool. I'm really excited for it because I I know that he's, you know, not just a great singer and musician, but technically, like in terms of the technicality of music, he's an incredible producer. 
an amazing producer. He he produced the um, unreleased 2010 version of She Was Loving Me. And, you know, the rock sort of heavy one. Yeah, and that's a really good version. Yeah, yeah, he, he's incredible. And even just some of that footage in um, the TV show they put out. What was the TV show called again? Um, Jackson's Next Generation. Yeah, in Jackson's Next Generation. Like the stuff in that of him, you know, tinkering away on his Mac and, and producing his brothers. Like, man, he's cool. So I'm excited to see if some of that's in the in the docuseries. I hope it is. Uh, and interestingly, if you go to the website and explore that, you know, there's shops and, and things like that on there as well where you can buy stuff. But there's a page that says that he's got a podcast coming soon. Yeah, I'm interested to see what that's going to be. Yeah. Like, I mean, what what could it be? Is it going to be a, a show about 3T, about their journey? Is it going to be a show about him and his journey or... Is it the show that we'll be talking about later, the Power of Love radio show? Is I, it that? I don't know. I mean, like, because I haven't heard that yet. So I'm not really yeah, sure if that's, that's... That's not really... Yeah, is this going to be even music related or will it be that Power of Love show? Who knows? It's cool but I'm that excited. we're sort of guessing and talking about it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. there's there's plenty of room in the podcast space for more Jacksons to, to do stuff. So... <laughs> I, I, if yeah. it's a music, that would be really cool because I think we saw uh, in that the the docu series Jackson's Next Generation just Tarrell's thirst for for music and for creativity and you know his sort of frustration with the hiatus that Three T was experiencing. Yeah, and he just wanted to get in the studio. He was so hungry to get back in the studio and to create music and to continue their their sort of art. And they, they did Chapter 3, which was fantastic. So you can just see his thirst. He, he, to me, I reckon Tarrell would be the kind of bloke where, you know, he's such an artist that there's just music in his head all the time. Like he's just so creative that he just needs to get it out and have that outlet. Yeah. And um, it's amazing. This, like, you know, electronic dance music uh, chapter that he's about to launch, you know, it's probably been brewing in him for so long that now he's going to get it out. And, yeah, I'm so excited for him and I'm really looking forward to hearing it. I'm really, yeah, going to be a big supporter of it, I reckon. What What do you guys think about him dropping the name Jackson? I th- It's been sort of done before. Latoya sort of, she did a, a song called, oh, my God, I'm having a complete meltdown in my brain. I can't think of the name of the song. But it was actually a really good song. And she launched it in clubs as Toy. Hmm. It wasn't Latoya. It wasn't Latoya Jackson. It was just Toy. Toy. I'm pretty sure. I hope I've, I'm getting these facts right. I, I've heard a story so, that when Janet released the the Janet period album in the early 90s, and I don't know, this is just might be speculation and rumor and tabloidy stuff, but I've heard that Michael was really angry about that, that the name Jackson wasn't on there. And... I don't know. Like, it just struck me as like, I mean, obviously they're very, very proud Jacksons and nothing's ever going to change that. But I'm just wondering whether it's a legal thing or like, is it a thing where it's like, I'm going to market myself differently from my other Tarrell Jackson solo stuff. I'd love to ask him about it. Mm. I think in some ways the name probably became uh, uh, unfairly so, completely unfairly so, like uh, a curse as well as a... um a gift. Yeah. 
Mm, Bec- but exactly. not because of anything that they did at all. Nothing from their art or from them personally. It was the media that tarnished that name. Mm. Well, they're they're going. It's not. It's not. I mean, there's definitely that tarnished component. But it's just you want to talk about something other than the fact that you're a Jackson. And I imagine if you're Terrell Jackson and and perhaps you're doing an interview. All they're going to want to talk about is the fact that you're a Jackson. Austin Brown is a good example of of mm. uh, sort of a, a a Jackson, Terrell's cousin, Reby's kid, who um, you know can sort of turn on and off the Jackson component mm. of his lineage at will, so to speak. And um, he's super talented. And from some of the stuff I've seen, it, like interviews and articles. They mention the the Jackson legacy, but they don't focus on it, and it's probably a lot easier for him because it's not it's not his name, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I totally understand why why Terrell would want to do that. It's an and it's an ownable name. I mean, there's no other big Terrell, you know. Yeah. Just like that's there's right. no other big Janet or other no big Latoya. You can just be Terrell and be known yep. as Terrell, and yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It's cool and exciting, and I can't wait for his music, and it sounds awesome. So bring it on. Bring it on, totally. <laughs> we'll have to mark our calendars. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Can I, just, can I just say, like, packing up all my Michael stuff, I never realized how many Michael calendars I've got over the years in my collection. Do you really? Yeah, I've got. It was. I was like, "Oh wow, cool! This is a heavy stack of calendars. I better make sure I don't bend." Oh, hang on. There's more. Oh, actually, here's another little padded envelope full of, you know, <laughs> what is it? A A A three size calendars. Oh man. Okay. I used to collect them. And I used to hang them on the walls. I Did found. You, I've never one been a two. big calendar guy. Oh man, but the pictures that I used to have in them. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I'll have to buy two of this, and there were some actually still in plastic, unwrapped. That um oh yeah I'll have to you know get two of this so I can later cut it up and use these as in frames because the the artwork and the pictures they used to put out in them yeah. were incredible and some of them were really quite rare photos of really old photo shoots or even if it was like photo shoots for like um the history era they were different shots that we hadn't seen before that they used to put in the calendars wow so yeah I still wonder what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> damn big stack of Michael Jackson calendars. <laughs> and I used to be really angry when you'd go and like, you know, the, the Danny yellow ones and the official ones were usually pretty good, but you'd see all the, the cheap ones out in the calendar shops at the end of the year. And they'd have like really bad quality photos. There was even some years where there'd be like, like E Casanova or oh, like no. impersonators in there. And you go, and I remember once going up to the lady at the stand going, you shouldn't be selling this. This picture is a Michael Jackson, and she's looking at. It, she goes, "Looks like Michael Jackson." I, you, what are you on about? I was like, "It's not even him," and I'd get so angry. God, why are you selling this piece of crap? That's so funny. Okay, sorry. Segway. No, that's that's <laughs> a that's fine. Well, we've got a new one coming, right? Like a twenty seventeen. Yeah, there's. Well, they do it every year. Like yeah. they still release an official Michael Jackson calendar every year. Next year, the twenty seventeen one, its uh, theme is dangerous. Yeah. So and, and it's it's a little bit like I think the calendar thing's interesting because seeing new calendars, it's a little bit like you can read the tea leaves of 
potential products that might be coming out officially from the estate and Sony. Well, not really because the history theme calendar <laughs> was the only history anniversary product that they released yeah. for the anniversary. So I wouldn't be reading too well, much into those tea no, leaves. That's right. That's right. But you can okay, the the one before the history one, there was there was a bad one, there was an off the wall one, and pretty much the calendars that come out products come out soon after except history that's the only one where there hasn't been when the bad calendar came out it was bad 25 when off the wall came out you know a little bit later it was you know the off the wall stuff history didn't and now we have a dangerous one and coincidentally it's this year is the 25th anniversary of that album this year being 2016 yeah so like the calendar for 2017 but that got me thinking right so like the calendar calendars often and correct me if i'm wrong but don't calendars include months from the year before as well sometimes like yeah but yeah. not often mm-hmm. and it doesn't have a big impact on it no but people buying the okay here's my my thoughts and I'm, I'm probably being way too optimistic here but my thoughts are that most people that are going to be buying calendars are going to be buying them in the months before the, the, the new year so like you know november december maybe october leading up to christmas maybe as christmas presents but but you know for the purpose of, of having them for the next year. So um, if they release Dangerous in the 25th year, celebration year being, like this the, year, being this year, at the end of this year, it would be roughly at the same time that people will be out buying calendars. So I, I think it's evidence potentially to say that there's a dangerous product coming at the end of this year. Maybe they're going to release like the history anniversary album in 2017 <laughs> with some crayons attached. Yay. <laughs> or marbles because like there's a stone statue on the cover. So they'll put some marbles <laughs> with the history anniversary release, which will be late. Maybe. Oh, or maybe a little plastic history statuette that Diana Walzak has nothing to do with at all and doesn't even look like. Yeah. Marbles. and it, Yeah. It's actually just a painted action man figure or something. <laughs> I don't think they're going to reissue Dangerous, and here's why. For one, I think the Sony deal is over. Um, I don't think I, I, I again speculative, but uh, I don't. I think Michael Jackson is currently an unsigned artist, and uh, you, you know the the deal in um, 2010 was a 10 project deal. This is it was retroactive. It was a 10 project seven year deal, so that would make. Uh, this, the final year, uh, off the wall, twenty five came came out, and I mean it, it was a mere obligation. No additional tracks. There was the documentary, which was cool, but that had a TV deal with it, so that was how that was going to make money. They had no intention on making any money off the off the wall album. It was just, I, I I believe, an indication that they were trying to fulfill the contract. And then what happened a mere month or two after off the wall? came out the uh um atv catalog was sold and uh again speculative and please don't take this as like conspiracy or anything but you know the catalog traditionally is valued at a billion dollars it sold for michael's half traditionally valued at a billion dollars it sold for 750 million you add in the 250 million from the 2010 deal you're at a billion dollars i think this whole ATV deal was orchestrated seven years ago, bundled with Michael Jackson's posthumous record deal. That's my opinion. 
I, I don't think he's currently signed act, which doesn't mean they can't release Dangerous as a one-off deal like they did with Thriller 25. But um, that's my thought. So does that mean that if a, a label wanted to, they could just swoop in and, and sign that and then have their own releases? I, how it traditionally works is there's um, there, there's the there's the record deal, and that record deal sort of relates to your new projects, and then that record deal usually has usually defines the ownership of the the masters of those albums. So, for example, uh, I don't know if this is still the case for Mariah Carey, but Mariah Carey left Sony over what 15 years ago, and I, I'm I don't know if it's still currently the case, but up until pretty recently, Sony controlled the masters on all of Mariah Carey's Sony albums. So Mariah Carey's new albums would be with Island or Def Jam, but any of the old albums that were re-released would still, of course, be released through Sony up until a certain point. And then after that point is reached, the artist is free to take their old works, the masters, quote-unquote, and shop those to a new label. Um, which the Sony deal that was signed when Michael was alive um, back in 90 or 91, um, the deal that he was trying to get out of, you know, during the infamous killer thriller speech and the ultimate collection. um, One of the big hangups there, to my understanding, was the fact that... um, Michael would not have control of his masters until I believe, um, I want to say 2006 or 2007. There are definitely fans out there who know far more about the legal and business end of Michael's world than I do. But um, uh, so Michael was a free agent on all his old masters um, when Thriller 25 came out. And he could have released Thriller 25 with any other label, it did not have to be Sony. He chose Sony. Um, I think. Well, now I take that back. Maybe they still controlled his masters. Now that I think about it, if I remember correctly, they controlled his masters till 2011. Yeah, um, I think it was. Ex- yeah, 2011. Sorry about that. Um, so if Michael would have signed with a new label for, let's say, his new album, um, Sony would have still had the rights to the entire back to releasing the entire back catalog. Um, so um, I, that could be the case with an album like Dangerous, where the 2010 deal might... And obviously, these deals aren't public, other than what they choose to state in their press releases. Um, you know, it's possible Sony still has master rights for a while longer, um, which would mean, yes, Dangerous would have to be mm. released through Sony, but it would still be a separate, I think, you know deal if they were to re-release it i don't know this is all speculative but um i just can't imagine them doing it i I think if i were in charge of the michael jackson estate i would just i would take a few years off on term in terms of releases i would take that disney approach let them rest for seven years you've got the vegas thing that you're cashing in on that's plenty and uh actually I mean, what I would do is I would take, I would take the the Disney or Nintendo approach. Michael Jackson has got incredible, um, I don't know what the word is for it, IP 
in terms of his franchises. You know, if if you want to look at them as as films or brands or yeah, um, you totally could like Thriller. It's its own brand. Speed it, Smooth yeah. Criminal. The, yeah. You know, these oh. are like the these are like the Mario, Zelda, and Pokemon <laughs> of the world of Michael Jackson. That you know, there could be there could literally be a Thriller theme park. I mean, I don't know if that'd yep. be a good business move, but there's a lot there in that 15 yep. minute film. Moonwalker, that, you know, you Captain Captain EO. It's endless. And um, a, a smooth crew. I mean, you could, and uh, there could be some really cool projects um, that don't involve putting records in on store shelves that go nowhere. Um, uh, some really cool projects that could really expand um, what I think would have been Michael's vision for these things. And it becomes difficult as a fan because, you know, you always. I, you know, Michael can't be there to shape the Cirque du Soleil show, obviously. And, you know, some of us took issues with the fact that, you know, this wasn't Michael's vision. Um, but, uh, you know, that's it was it's a cool project. It was a very successful project. And, um, of course, I have my concerns. I, I don't like the thought of a hologram personally. But, um, you know, there's those are the kind of projects they should be exploring. But take your time on them. Like it, it's been a very, um, aggressive seven years of releases and none of them, I, I think went as planned. And, and um, the, the quality shows because of the, the sort of rushing, I think. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's why I think, and it's a new thought of mine. Um, after the ATV catalog was sold, it sort of all clicked for me that like, okay, this was this deal was negotiated. Off the Wall was the last release on that record deal. It would have looked really bad if the ATV catalog would have been sold in 2010. But the estate probably needed the cash, so you know th- that that record deal was not worth 250 million dollars. These people are excellent analysts. You know, we all knew Michael was huge in 2009, 2010, massive. But these analysts aren't dumb, you know. They they know to an extent how far his appeal in terms of financial commercial success would go, and um, uh, th- that they knew at the beginning that deal was not going to be worth two hundred fifty million dollars. That's why I believe it was bundled with what would ultimately become the ATV deal in. You know, again, I don't want to be all conspiracy-like, but you know, in a sort of back room, look, we need a lot of cash right now. We'll sell you the ATV catalog, um, but we can't do it right now. Fans would be outraged. It would look really bad in the media if we, you know, sold Michael's prized asset a year after he died. You know, give us this two hundred fifty million dollar record deal. We'll cut it off the price at the end from the ATV deal, and. There we go. So that's what I honestly, that's what I think is what happened. And um, uh, I, I don't know how they can make, as, as part of a separate deal, a dangerous release, um, a big, viable, you know, million seller today. Um, yeah. it, it's just, it, it, it needs to rest. I agree. It, I think it comes. I think it comes down to as well. Like if they actually have exhausted that ten project deal, like, um, I, 
don't know if they have put out 10 projects. Like, I know This Is It was one of them. The Michael album, Escape, Bad 25, um, Off The Wall. You know, that's not 10. The Cirque shows. So, But are they are they projects? Like, I don't... I guess it was always vague, wasn't it? It's not like it, the, in the press release it said the it was... The documentaries? Yeah. Yeah. Vision was visionary the, the um the vision set of videos was that one of them? Yes, yep. And that might have, might have been a multi. Sometimes you know how sometimes they count as two projects. When yeah, maybe multi disc. I don't know if that one did. Hmm. Yeah, I I, I this, think we're there. This is it soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was retroactive. Yeah, you could say that was really three things. You could say the soundtrack, this the documentary. Uh, at the cinema, so a film, and then home purchase maybe could be three projects. Mm. Delighted to have with us one of America's youngest institutions, five of our very favorite people who, in fact, are doing us the honor of letting us celebrate with them their 10th anniversary in show business. A great welcome, gang, for the Jacksons. If you remember these songs, I never can say goodbye. Don't wait for me. I never can say goodbye. Even though the pain and heartaches seem to follow me wherever I go, though I try and strike to have my feet, and they always seem to show. Then you try to say you're leaving me, and I always never say no. Tell me why. This is Janneke and you're listening to the MJ Cast. If you're after a leading magazine on all things Michael Jackson and the Jackson family, check out Jackson Source. Jackson Source publishes Jackson Magazine annually and it offers a full retrospect of the previous year covering all the news, highlights and events of the first and next generation of Jacksons in the form of articles, interviews, photos, categories and exclusive contributions from Jackson family members. The 2015 edition of Jackson Magazine is now available and features articles about the message in Michael's music, the legacy of the Jackson 5, exclusive interviews with Tito, Jermaine, Taj, Terrell and TJ, as well as exclusive pictures of Tito, Jermaine, Jafar and Your Majesty, and loads more. 
You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at JacksonSource. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Diana Walzak, sculptor of the Michael Jackson History Statue, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. James, I've got a question for you. Um, seeing as your line of works marketing, I'm really curious as to what you think the what is the project that Sony and the state the estate have put out that's come the closest to being a satisfactory Michael Jackson project for you posthumously. Well, if you're asking me as a fan, or if you're asking me as a you know marketing, well, a bit of both, I guess. Like, which, what do you think? What what satisfied you the most? I mean, we all know what the worst or ones it, are, but is there is there two different answers from those different points of view, James? <laughs> I th- okay, I think I do believe, and this is a relatively new belief of mine. <laughs> I have to say, I, I do believe today that they were all well-intentioned projects and i could not have always said that uh i've made no secret um that you know the michael album the first posthumous release of new material i've, I've made no secret that uh, uh i've been very offended by the fact that album contained i was going to say what i believe are three fraudulent tracks but the, the facts are the facts. They are three fraudulent tracks on that album. They just are. And um, uh, I, I do think as far as Sony and possibly even the estate goes, that uh, the, the, it was an innocent mistake that they, that they were on the album to an extent. Obviously, the response has been deplorable. The lack of... Um, uh, I think concern for the fan community opinion on uh, that just the response has been terrible. The fact that they were included on the album is relatively innocent. They they did have a number of warnings and I don't need to get in on all that. It's just not what this talk today is about. Um, But uh, I think it was a very well-intentioned project and um, I think it was beautifully done in hindsight. I think the songs were quote unquote completed very elegantly and um, not perfectly, but elegantly and well-intentioned. I think the Escape Project, which is the other posthumous album of new material, also well-intentioned, but um, I think because of the disaster that the Michael album became, they took a totally different approach. And um, instead of completing the tracks, they quote-unquote contemporized the tracks which is really just remix the tracks. And they sounded to me bizarre in 2014. And today they just sound just weird because in 2014, it's like, okay, this might be like, you know, the future of what songs are going to sound like. And this is like a very Michael Jackson like approach, I guess they weren't very attractive to me at the time and they're still not, but um, the contemporized tracks, but I thought, okay, well, this might be just ahead of the curve, and like this might be a whole new era of music and and uh, um, the way Michael would have done it. But here we are, two years later, and nothing on the nothing we hear today sounds anything like those sounds on that album. So I don't know what the hell the vision was on those <laughs> contemporizations. 
uh, but it was well intentioned, and it was just it was just a, it was a miss. It was a miss, and I think it was a miss because they looked at how the Michael album performed, and it did not perform well. So they said, "We can't complete these old songs. We've got to contemporize them." And uh, but I, I think I imagine in their analysis, they probably missed the real reason the Michael album was a failure, and it was the three fake songs that were on the album. It was not because the songs were old and completed, quote-unquote. It was because there were three fake songs on the album. And I think if they were to be more acknowledging of that internally, if they were to be more receptive of that and more open to that, if they were to include that in their analysis, they would see that the Michael album underperformed because of the fraud, not because of the material, the legitimate material on the album. But... um, then, of course, we had Bad 25, which apparently underperformed. Um, but, uh, you know, the, it, it was a big package. It was, um, there was a lot of what they call in the marketing world SKUs, which were variants of the package. There was the, the DVD-only release of the concert. There was the Bad 25 documentary. There was the CD-DVD bonus track combo. I think there was a... CD and just plain DVD combo with no bonus track CD. And then I think there was the um, CD only, one, you know, single disc only release. That's uh, five SKUs for one album. Oh, and there was that deluxe, like, briefcase yeah. fan pack. That's six SKUs. They wouldn't dedicate those resources to a project. You know, SKUs are not cheap. It's, you know, it's inventory, it's real estate. It's package design, it's um, dyes, you know, like, you know, in the manufacturing process. It's not cheap. It's one of those SKUs. And it was decent packaging. Like, that that packaging was actually, some of the one I got was, like, pretty good. Like, that was really cool little box set. There was some good packaging in it. Like, it wasn't thrown together at all. Yeah, they didn't, they did, I mean, it was a a, a truly... um, customized, well put together, um, custom molds, so to speak, um, which is an investment on their part. And, um, they definitely had big plans for bad 25. They did the Pepsi promo. Um, they did the big Thanksgiving evening special for the documentary, um, uh, in the U S primetime. Um, and, uh, it, it just wasn't a hit. Um, and, uh, um, I guess it didn't perform to their expectations. And um, I, I think it was, they made some misses there with um, uh, the lead single being I Just Can't Stop Loving You, um, which I know is the lead single from the original album. And I, I know it was a number one hit. But like, you know, in 1987, uh, Michael Jackson could, you know, you could put anything out. With, you know, you could make a single of him snoring, it would go number one. Um, and, 2012, you know, that would not have been the case. And yeah, so, but it was a well done project and, uh, you know. Lacking in some quality, like the, the concert and the the sound and the, the video of the concert and stuff. But yeah, like if you look at it as a whole. Yeah, I agree. They they were onto something. Yeah. They just didn't execute it. Yeah, it's just, if, right. And, and there's sometimes, you know, things just, they just don't pan out. The, you know, it's the, the market just... The market just isn't there, 
And I, I think things were very tense with the fan community after the Michael album. And uh, I, I guess the understanding is that they communicated with a number of fans, I guess, in putting together this project. I don't know who. And certainly between the three of us on this podcast right now and certainly people listening, we probably know all the prominent fans out there. And no one I know <laughs> worked on this project <laughs> with them. So I don't know who they consulted with. But, uh, you know, would I have done it any differently? It's always easy to, you know, what do they call it? The Hindsight. Tuesday morning quarterback or something, Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know sports. But uh, it's very easy to look back <laughs> in hindsight, yeah. But, um, you know, uh, I sound. I, I feel like I'm being really negative about everything. And I, I, I really, <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's hard, hard to be positive about some of these projects yeah, we're talking I've, about. I've, um, but, um, yeah. I'm more grounded in my opinion today than I was in those moments. Um, yeah. And I have more respect i'm willing to offer more respect and understanding to the circumstances the estate faced um today than i was living in those moments um that's not to say they're entirely non i'll say they're innocent that doesn't mean they're not liable and um uh you know i i still don't feel they have owned up to what happened in 2010. And they are the victims of fraud in the same way the fan community are victims of fraud. And I am willing to give them that. In, in fact, the facts, the facts give them that, that they are victims of fraud too. And I, I wish that they would communicate with us and own up to it. And, um, and, and they haven't, but uh, they've tried. I'll, they definitely have tried, and, and uh, they, they've Just tried bef- with the releases, with the releases to own up, yeah. to to make, make up things, to make things better. But too little, too late. That first, that first single, that first album, is so important. Yeah, and you miss the ball there. It's it's very hard to to pick up. It's very hard to pick up, and and they miss they missed it. They made it. Those those three tracks were so damaging to Michael's posthumous commercial legacy. Yeah, and potentially they're still available for sale today. It's damaging to his artistic legacy too. Absolutely. I mean, there's like like I've said before on the show. There's I've had students tell me that their favorite song is "Monster." <laughs> of michael jackson (laughs) that's crazy oh my god you put apple music on or you know spotify you can't help it but those songs come up sometimes you know speaking of dangerous is not on spotify currently yeah i saw that i saw somebody say that on twitter Hmm. yeah i think we mentioned it on the show before and just before you know we wrap this little segment up don't be going after james online (laughs) <laughs> don't go trolling him. Don't go bullying him online for his opinions and stuff that he said. We know your opinions and thoughts. They're very loud. So just leave James alone. You've got to come through me first and whatever. <laughs> Bring it on. I don't give a crap. You, whatever. But, yeah, just lay off James because he's just here. He's just saying what he thinks, like what you've been doing. So, yeah, I just wanted to say leave James alone. Leave James alone. No, well, I think, look, there are people who don't 
agree with me on this issue who I, I respect tremendously and I consider friends and there are on both sides immature ways that uh, members of our community have handled this issue. And I'm sure at times myself included, no matter what your opinion is, let's, you know, it's, it's worthy of, it's super important. It's worthy of debate. It's worthy of discussion. If, if, if I'm right, if you're right, it has to stand the test of intellectual debate. And, um, so, so yeah, please, I mean, don't bully me. And I won't bully you, but yeah, if you've got opinions, like let's talk about it. It's, it's, it's that important. We need to talk about it. And I think in time people will sort of come to know how much uh, work James has put in to uh, research and, and into the community on some of these topics. And you, you you know, if you're going to be coming at him saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about, then just back off because he knows what he's talking about. That's all I'm going to say, but he knows what he's talking about. All right. He does the amount of time and money and, and research and effort that James has done on some stuff. You'd be gobsmacked. And it's not just me. And it's, and I'm not, uh, it's, this is an issue that, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there, there could be an entire podcast about this issue and not just one episode. Like, uh, uh, there could be a book about this it, issue. <laughs> there could, there will be a, there will be a book about this issue, but, um, yeah, that's, it's, well, let's, let's keep the debate going. Let's keep the discussion going. Um, don't sweep uh, it under uh, the carpet. No. And, uh, yeah, the right the right thing will come, ultimately. And and if if I'm totally wrong, which I I, I I'm, the facts tell me I'm not, but if I am, uh, I hope I hope the evidence that's able to convince me of that comes to surface because I would love that closure. Oh my God, I would love the closure <laughs> of some sort on this issue. Even if it means me being wrong, I would love the closure. Yep. Lay it out. So dangerous calendar, hey? (laughs) (laughs) Worst worst guest ever. Worst guest ever. No, 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 no. Best guest ever. I've been, I've I've had the email from James and Q, you're fired. James is the new (laughs) co-host. No. So congratulations on your, Congratulations on your job. No, I and I love you guys so much. I am such a huge fan of this podcast. James, this podcast wouldn't happen because, like, it's because of you that this is happening and people are listening right now. Exactly, you're just as much a part of this as we are, mate. That is such that is such an overcredit. That is no, no, no. It's not. We we think of you. Yeah, you know, this is the first time you've been on the show, but. Yeah, you are a like, massive part of this show, and it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for you. How many That's- times, James, have you dealt with my meltdown moments? And fixed things. Come on, that's, that's, that's okay. I, look, I, I'm, I, I, uh, I, you guys are my friends. Uh, you guys are the. I would do anything for anyone in the fan community. I am such a believer 
in us, as in the maybe millions of us all over the world. And I mean, I have my closest friend is, I don't even know how many miles away, other side of the planet, other hemisphere, two hemispheres away, (laughs) southern hemisphere. Um, I have friends who I have known for decades all over the world. I don't want to name them. They probably don't want to be named, but uh, you guys are my best friends. You guys are just, I've known you my whole life. And uh, um, in terms of the fan community, and I think we all should feel that way. And I think, uh, you know, as much as we celebrate Michael, uh, it's important, I think, to celebrate what we have with each other and to celebrate each other as Michael's nation. And, um, uh, yeah. So please, I am happy to contribute to any project and my contribution to this podcast, by the way, is so minor, but, uh, I appreciate it. And I, I love it just as a fan. I listen (laughs) all the time. Yeah. Hot tip. It's not minor. So, but thank you very much for thank you for everything that you do. Yeah. We really do appreciate and, and it. And just just to add a little bit of clarity to that, because there's probably a lot of listeners out there thinking, what is it that James actually does? But um, James does a lot of our back end sort of stuff. So he's a you know he knows a lot about things like WordPress and server storage and and all of that kind of stuff. So he puts the the, the VC, VCR tapes in the player for us. <laughs> And puts those AV cables in the back of the device. Yeah. The, sh- the show and literally wouldn't be technically possible without James's expertise, and especially his, um, you know, I guess training. Like he's taught me how to, to how to operate the, the 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 wheels that get this show turning. So, thanks, James, and we look forward to many many more episodes together. Thank you. Thank you very much. And here we were thinking James was going to be too shy to give more than like one word <laughs> answers. Ah. Uh. I am the most long-winded person. I think you've you've taken the crown, dude. I think you have. I think yep. who, we've had a couple it's other so people. Terrible. Da- Damien, Damien was pretty. He went. Yeah. His answers were long, and then we had somebody yeah. else too. Ale, Ale's she Be- gives long beautiful. Answers. Ale, our host on the uh, MJ Cast Espanol, awesome. Like just such detailed answers. That's not. This is just regular co-hosts, people that we have on, not like even special guests. But yeah, James, award passed to you. <laughs> oh God, it's, I'm not proud of that. Please cut this way down. Please cut this way down. No, 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 no. We did a survey at the end of last year, and listeners resoundingly came back saying that they loved long shows. Like, except what? for Damien Shields. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is a good time for a music break. How about how about an awesome, awesome, awesome tribute song for Michael uh, to celebrate his birthday with by someone that pretty much every single Michael Jackson fan would know, the incredible songwriter Saida Garrett. Uh, Her track, Keep On Loving You, I just adore the passion in this song. Oh, my God. I don't think it can be matched. You'll be really hard-pressed. Like, no, like, Saida's on another level, but... Yeah, the passion that I hope you guys feel. I really love this track. So, yeah, good time for a music break. This is Saida Garrett with Keep On Loving You. I know I was nervous If you were feeling nervous too I didn't have a clue But you were the real thing 
And I found it so refreshing you It turned out to be so cool yeah. I remember like yesterday Everything you showed me And all the things you used to say I loved you then And I love you still I guess I always have and always will For the rest of my life Everything else might change But no matter what I do I'm gonna keep on loving you For the rest of my life I'll smile when I hear your name And no matter what I do I'm gonna keep on loving you For the rest of my life No, I know treasure still you were treated so unkind it used to blow my mind and sometimes I feel you when I hear your blessing in a rhyme your spirit's still alive I remember like yesterday everything you showed me and all the things you used to say I loved you then, and I love you still I guess I always have and always will For the rest of my life Everything else might change But no matter what I do, I'm gonna keep on loving you For the rest of my life I'll smile when I hear your name And no matter what I do, I'm gonna Hey, this is really, really Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. Awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that track. Um, I forgot to do, well, I didn't forget. We were just really busy launching the MJ cast Espanol, but I, so I didn't do like a poll of the music from uh, episode 37. So yeah, I'll try and get a poll up for this episode and you can vote if that was your favorite music break so yeah if you follow us on twitter look out for the poll um moving on in the news 
Taj Tarrell and TJ of 3T, of course. They hosted their first and second, uh, and I think even the third has happened now, maybe, because we had a bit of a break between this and our last episode. Uh, their show, Power of Love radio show on LA Talk Radio. It is a, uh, a podcast, I guess, like a radio show podcast, and it's sponsored by their D.D. Jackson Foundation. Um, I've had a chance to listen to the initial show, uh, and it was really good. It was really good. So um, they they played uh, the track they launched on the uh, Jackson's Next Generation TV show uh, and their EP, so The Power of Love. They got to play that song uh, towards the end of the episode. But the episode was really about um, grief and and the core of what the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation is. It's about uh, helping kids and people that have gone through massive uh, events and grieving and how to deal with that and just to being around people and supporting people and how best to do that. And it got to some pretty deep and dark places so i know jamin hasn't had a chance to listen to the show yet but um yeah they talk about the, the murder of their mum and the story about that and how they sort of heard the news how they process that over the years um about going to uh hearings parole hearings where the murderer is and how they deal with that it's yeah some pretty deep and heavy stuff um but quality stuff like the the openness and the candor of these uh, gentlemen was yeah amazing and yeah it's a really good show so if you get a chance um, do check it out do check it out and Dee Jackson Foundation you know that it's a great foundation um, support that if you can in any way that you can even if it's as little as sharing some of their posts um, or up to donating to the foundation to help uh, children you know with music therapy. In different ways so yeah we'll have links to that in the show notes yeah i'm looking forward to getting the chance to hear that i don't think i'm ready yet after some of the things i've we've you know dealt with this year but um i'm it's definitely there ready for me to hear and i can't wait because i have massive respect for taj tarrell and tj and uh what what they've done with dd jackson foundation so yeah. yeah, very admirable and, yeah, worth supporting for sure. James, did you get a chance to hear the show? Not yet, but I it, it sounds super fascinating and um, I, I hopefully I will get a chance to listen to it. It's amazing that, like, the other members of the Jackson family, they, they have these incredible uh, causes that they're um, out there publicly supporting and championing, like Yashi Brown is out there, um, you know, very openly talking about mental health, incredible, some incredible poetry that she's putting out that's, you know, fueled by her uh, bipolar. Um, so, yeah, incredible stuff. Oh, and there's also Genevieve Jackson as well uh, with her Eggbo movement. Uh, I-E-G-B-O. It's like it's E-I-G-B-O. I can't remember what it means, oh, yeah. though. Isn't it... Um... Everything is going to be all That's right. It. Everything is, is that... going to be all right. And I love those jumpers. Something those, like that. Those yeah. sweaters. They look so cool. And um, I love the movement that she's doing as well with getting positivity out there. And, and uh, yeah, it's a great, great cause. So it's awesome to see the Jackson family really, you know, raising money and doing things like that for great causes. 
if you can hear a crazy noise outside, like I said earlier in the show, I'm recording from a, a hotel room. <laughs> There's a big, giant, beautiful parklands outside. Whereabouts are you in the city? Up on the edge, above a park, like a big giant botanical garden sort of oh, park. Oh, you're at the and bo- I think, botanical gardens. Great. Yeah, I think there's um, not the botanic gardens, another on the other side of the city, but I think I can hear fruit bats outside. Yeah. There's these giant bats, like, and I mean giant yeah. bats that eat fruit from trees. They're pretty impressive when you see them flying through the air. Yeah. Anyway, back to the news. Speaking of mature Jacksons, Miss Paris Jackson, Michael's beautiful daughter, she had an awesome response to a fan comment on Instagram about Kanye West beating a long-standing Michael Jackson sort of music record. Yeah, I found it really interesting to read because it's it's pretty often that people sort of get very protective of Michael and then sort of slag out other artists just because they may have sort of uh, beaten Michael Jackson or something in a record. But the person who commented said, I'm effing mad, screw Kanye West for knocking Michael off the chart for the most 40 hits or whatever. If Michael was still here, God, he would have um, passed Kanye. And Paris replied, and I just absolutely love this this reply because it's got a bit of information in there about MJ we, we didn't know before. But it says, The first time I ever heard Kanye's Heartbreak album was from my dad. He played it for me all the time. He liked him. He never saw music as a competition or a game, never had a motive to talk shit about other artists. It was always about the love and respect and appreciation for music. So if someone breaks a new record, be happy for them. They worked hard for it and they earned it. Don't be angry or jealous or biased. Music is music and if it's good, it deserves recognition. Which I thought was really cool. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Res- respect. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, say what you want about Kanye. Like, <laughs> interesting personality, says a lot of crazy stuff, etc. But he's got great music and she's right. And it's cool to know now that Michael loved him as well. So, yeah. I remember one of my economics classes years ago in uh, when I first started college. And um, the teacher brought up a great example about the music business we're talking about competition and that music is so um this economic example music is so affordable that everyone can pretty much everyone owns their 25 favorite albums there's really no reason why most people can't own all of their favorite music for the most part uh versus you know owning your favorite cars ever you know that's far more difficult for people I, it's so naturally competitive and it's not, it doesn't have to be competition and uh, it's, it's art, it's expression. And uh, Michael has so many records. It's easy for us to sort of recognize him for his records in terms of, you know, artistic feats on the charts and sales and all that. But yeah, that's cool. What Paris said. Yeah. So mature. And, and I also awesome. don't, I don't really think charts mean everything either all the time. Like you're right, James, you can recognize Michael easily from his records. But I was talking to a close friend the other day about, um, you know, Michael's music and some of his biggest hits didn't even go number one at all. Like, I'm pretty sure uh, Blame It on the Boogie didn't chart overly that well in terms of hitting number one or two or three or whatever. 
But it, Smooth it has, Criminal wasn't a number one. Yeah, I think it went like, like number seven or something. And some of these wow. songs have have stood the test of time and are still as popular now as they were then, or even more so in a lot of cases. So charts on everything. I mean, yeah, no, they're they're really they're nothing. Uh, my favorite Michael Jackson songs, um, if they were even released as singles, weren't huge hits. Would it matter if Mike? I mean, we probably all discovered Michael Jackson because he was such a popular artist. But if you would have discovered him, if he wasn't a popular artist and you still had the opportunity to discover him anyways, would it matter to you, you know, how recognized he was and how successful he was commercially? No, it's about the music. Um, so who cares? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Rihanna is to receive a award. Uh, it's uh, the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. Uh, it's coming out. Uh, sorry, I'll say that again. The 2016 MTV Video Music Awards are coming up quite soon, actually August 28th. And uh, yeah, during that ceremony, Rihanna is going to be given the Video Vanguard Award for her contributions uh, to music videos and short films, which should be pretty special. Yay, congratulations, Rihanna. I don't think I can name more than three of your songs. <laughs> I do like I, your I, voice. <laughs> but I'm, I'm the I, same way. Like, I, I don't know. I, I know that, I mean, I respect her because I, I feel like I, I know I'm supposed to respect her. Um, I just haven't just caught on to her work, I guess. I haven't had the opportunity to. Um, She's got a song on the new Star Trek Beyond soundtrack. Yeah. And that is I an incredible that. video. Like if you watch is that, it? it's brilliant. Like like cinematically, oh, okay. it's gorgeous. It okay, doesn't I'll it doesn't really have a um like a narrative. Like Michael was very much into narrative in his in his um short films, but uh, this is just visually just a masterful piece of art that the Star Trek one. So yeah, and I hope I you know it's it's cool that she's being honoured and and recognised for her contributions. It's pretty cool. I think it's cool that the awards um you know named after Michael because like this is totally an award that should be named after him. Um, yeah, considering all of the contributions he made, so it's cool. There was a time there- though that they took the name away. Really? Yeah, there I didn't was know a that. period in the two thousands, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. when it was just the Video Vanguard Award. It yeah. was named when I think when they launched the award, it was named the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award, I think. And then uh, for a number of years, they just dropped Michael from the name of it. And then only in the last couple of years, they reintroduced the proper name of it. Well, uh, maybe that was um, because in the early 2000s, that wasn't the only sort of uh, negative thing that MTV did towards Michael. Remember, there was the uh, no, yeah, the, the big award. Mm-hmm. They advertised that they were going to be awarding him the Artist of the Millennium, was it? Uh, no. Was it? Yeah, the Artist of the yeah. Millennium Award because mm-hmm. he got up on yeah. stage and said that he never, when he was growing up in Gary, Indiana, he never would have imagined that he would be receiving the, the Artist of the Millennium Award. Yeah, and that's how they had marketed it. And then later they switched it up and said, oh, look at the craziness of Michael thinking he was getting an award for the Artisan Millennium when we never said that at all. And then they had, I think it was the next year, they had 
a parody where Jack Black dressed up as Michael Jackson in the same sort of costume pretending to get an award. So, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So MTV dropping that that name on the back of trying to make a fool out of Michael. They disrespected him a bit. Yeah, that's disgusting considering how much he contributed to their network, really. Mm, Well, that's, you know, media. Mm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Just you know, what else can you say? That's anyway. So we won't we won't open we won't open that can of worms now. <laughs> but oh, I'm right. biting my tongue, guys. Yeah, I <laughs> bet we're gonna have you back and we will talk about that in the future, okay? <laughs> put let's put a pin in that, James. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So that. Does that wrap up the news, James? That's the news. We we got through the news in a record-breaking two hours and fifty minutes. <laughs> well, we'll see um, how long the editing Wow. I remembered who the other award holder was. Paul Black, of course. Oh, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Paul. Much love, brother. Yeah, so we've had a few award holders, but we love it. <laughs> I do. I love it. Because I, I listen back to these shows. I listen back to these shows because I am entertained by listening to uh, the discussions. Yeah. I love it. It's 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 not a show. It's not a po- – It's we're, I'm, we're just – it's a phone call with friends is what yeah, it is. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, so that's where the idea came It's my from. fault for not <laughs> realizing, okay, this is a show. No, please do not change because guess what? You are now the main discussion topic, James. Oh, God. this is <laughs> oh boy! How, here come the how one. Fascinating. Here come the one-word answers that we were scared of. <laughs> no, you're. Guess what? We want to hear for our main discussion topic how you became a fan, and you've got. 20 minutes or less. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's that's a lie. You From top not. to bottom. But Give us your first Michael no, memory onwards. Let's go. Just just know that, like <laughs> I said, tomorrow is scheduled to the minute and I do need to sleep tonight. I haven't ironed for my uniform or repacked my crew bag. So I do need to do that and get sleep. Just saying that first. <laughs> no pressure. Um, but Yeah, well... Um, just how it, did, so it, how do you want to start look, it? Like, do you want us to ask you how you became a fan, or are you just gonna let it all out? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I, I think I've sort of covered a, a sort of a lot of that, and certainly what it means to me. Um, but um, yeah, I've been a fan literally for as long as I can remember. I I, I can't even tell you when I was first exposed to him. There is. Um, there, so you can't tell fa- us your first Michael memory, maybe? There is a, a family video that we have where I'm um, – I hope it's not lost. I feel like it has been lost over the years – where I'm – I don't even remember the moment. I remember watching the tape later in my life, but um, where I'm dancing on um, the kitchen table uh, back at our home when we were in Chicago um, to uh, the way you make me feel. So I, I was born in – 84 so i would have been at least at least um three or four years old at that point um and so even then i loved michael jackson and i i I don't remember you know he was the biggest star in the world in the 80s and um uh i know my you know my parents loved him my older brother loved him they had a very normal healthy relationship with michael jackson the (laughs) 
I love artists that. on the radio. So That's awesome. Um, but for some reason, it, for me, it just became. Um, uh, um, I was just far more fascinated, and it just always it always stuck. I, the first moment, um, like the first Michael Jackson, like fandom moment for me was the black or white debut video um uh when that video debuted um would have been in 91 and um that was the like exposure to what was at the time um you know a new michael jackson release and uh i'd gotten the album um that christmas the dangerous album that christmas and that was a that was a big moment um that I, I had asked for it. I'd asked for a Michael Jackson. I'd always loved Michael Jackson. We had the Moonwalker VHS. I'd watched it a million times. Probably the only exercise I got as a kid was <laughs> pretending to be Michael Jackson running in the streets, being chased by imaginary dogs, um, <laughs> mimicking Moonwalker. Um, That's so cool. But um, the uh, uh, after getting the Dangerous album, I remember... Um, getting asking for um i think for my birthday later that year um the old jackson's albums because there were you know because uh, i knew the songs from the moonwalker montages you know the little clips of you know state of shock and yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. can the you feel it yeah. and um you know and then i had asked my parents had them all on vinyl i had asked for cds of the uh you know, thriller and bad. And, um, so by 1991, I was truly a full bone, full blown fan exploring everything. And, um, uh, you know, my grandparents, my grandmother would clip every Michael Jackson story in the newspaper, even the bad ones, um, in the magazines. Um, uh, his when the history album came out, I was fully aware, fully conscious, fully absorbed. I was there the the day the single was released. I bought the single, and then a month or so later, when the album came out, I got the album. I was there the day it came out. Started getting the internet around that time too, and started going to um, the early fan sites. MJNet, the still the best Michael Jackson fan, the best official Michael Jackson site ever, was the one to promote. Um, I guess I would say it would be blood on the dance floor. Um, an awesome site. Um, Planet Jackson, uh, some of the early fan communities. Um, it's, oh, man, it's, Planet Jackson. That was, oh, my God, the, the, the visuals of that site were just beautiful. Yeah, they sure were. Oh, they sure man. were. So and they good. had the news. They had all the news. They had first. all the news. They were and incredible. They had it first. Yep, um, yep. That was and, the place. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, his influence has been, you know, I'm obviously I'm not an artist or I'm not in the music world, but you know, his influence is, it's, it's everywhere. I, I admire his workmanship, admire his quality. Of course I admire his values. They've shaped so much of who I am in so many ways. That's my fan story. That's, uh, that's, 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 that's my, those are my first moments. That's yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. So, okay. So do you have like, what can you sort of name like your favorite stuff? Yeah, of course. Um, 
like, uh, I'd like to think uh, probably every fan would probably say Will You Be There has got to be one of their favorite songs, and it, it definitely is mine. Um, it, it's just, it's an amazing melody. It's an amazing moment of self-reflection for Michael. It's, um, uh, yeah, I, I love Will You Be There. Um, it, I love the Earth Song short film. I, I, the look, the 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 message, the effects. It still looks incredible. I mean, that thing is 21 years old, and the special effects don't look mm-hmm. too out of date at all. Um, I, I mean, it, it, very powerful. The uh, it, and so relevant, so relevant to today. Um, uh, I love They Don't Care About Us. Such an amazing track. Um, when I was a kid, I loved the way it made me feel. It was just um, the best song. It still is a great song. Another Part of Me is another one of my favorites. Um, it, I, I, as a fan, and I think a lot of fans probably do this, is we sort of ignore the big, big, big major hits. You know, um, like... You know, people tell me they love Thriller. Of course, I love to hear that, but I'm like, okay, of course you do. Who does? You know what I mean? Like, um, there's only a but, couple of million albums sold of Thriller. It's cool. It's right, cool. right. But you know, I think tracks like "Best of Joy" are so incredible. Mm, and, oh God, um, yeah, that's a beautiful song. I'm I'm a sappy guy. I know I like those deep emotional cuts that just you know speak to us as people who who love Michael the person. And yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Is Dangerous your favorite album? Oh, man. Um, either which, Dangerous leg, which, which, which leg do you prefer? Which one are you going to keep? We're going to chop the other one off. <laughs> I, it's I, so hard it, to answer sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's either Dangerous or History, I think, for sure. To me, there, you know, I think there's... You know, there's first of all, you have all the Motown stuff, right? And you know, it, it's really hard to consider that Michael Jackson work. You know, he wasn't the songwriter. You, you know, his level of input, I think, admittedly, you know, was minimal. That's why he they wanted to leave Motown, right? Um, uh, you know, and then you've got the the off the wall thriller bad um, eras, which aren't to say they weren't introspective at all I, I think they were but um uh you know they were they were different he was he was still sort of coming into i think his voice not as a musician he was certainly an established musician and performer at that point but coming into his voice as a writer and what is he going to write about and i think michael was very i think by the bad album especially you know michael was aware that you know there would be there would be something superficial and non-integral, meaning no non, no integrity, if he were to make love songs, traditional love songs about being in traditional relationships. Because I think we all know the whole world, even if you're not a Michael Jackson music fan, you know Michael Jackson's relationship status. You know Michael Jackson's superstar status. And he can't just write songs like other people write, you know, just the generic love songs. I think he really honed in on his purpose uh, as a songwriter and it's those social songs. And to, to me, those are the most important 
components to Michael's career. And, in, and I feel like in traditional American political fashion, the more socially aware his music became, sort of the less commercially viable he became as an artist. I think it's a lot of reasons why, you know, the History album was sort of the beginning of the beginning of the end for Michael, but certainly in chart success, the beginning of the end, you know, after You Are Not Alone, which is sort of a traditional love song, as, as I sort of said he doesn't do, but whatever. Um, you know, songs like They Don't Care About Us, no chart, no charting here. Songs like Earth Song, essentially no charting here. And they're his best works. Uh, and th- those are the ones that draw me the most, for sure. What an answer. <laughs> yep, that was pretty cool. So, so, so speaking of like, you know, you say, you know, you're a, like, you like the soppy love songs and, the, you know, the mushy, cool stuff like that. For me, my favorite performance was Elizabeth, I Love You. I just think that was incredible. What is your favorite Michael performance? That is a great performance. The vocals, oh my God. Um, oh my God, so good. And just even the simplicity of it, just the simplicity I, of the staging. It was so Broadway and so theatrical. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so just him on the stage, a few little props. Yeah, there was the wind, ma- wind machine, thank God, and the big spotlight, thank God. But he used those two things so perfectly to finish it. Oh, heaven, heaven. I think I've Man the Mirror Grammys mm. was... I, I think, uh, yeah, a major, a major, major moment from Michael performing, and I, you could really analyze that one. Actually, I mean, I think, you know, he was so slighted in yeah. that Grammy show, and I think he was so slighted because of how successful he was, and the dramatic sweep he had had in the '84 Grammys, and. I think the Billie Jean performance was so organic. The Billie Jean Motown 25 performance, the iconic Billie Jean performance. It was so organic that um, I think that was a big part of the surprise and the reason why it's considered so iconic. And uh, I, I think Michael loves that performance, but I would like to think, you know, he was like, well, if what would happen if I were to calculate a better performance? If Billie Jean... You know, I I think he said he rehearsed it in his kitchen, right? And he pulled the jacket out of his mom's closet. He had he had no idea what he was going to do for that song, and he just got on stage and he just did it. I think he said, "Well, what if I apply all my creative power and plot a better performance?" And I think that's exactly what he was doing with Man in the Mirror in 1988. And I think he was trying to um, contrive. And I don't mean that in a bad way but contrive a performance there and put all his energy and thought and creativity into that. And uh, I, I think it speaks to his genius. You know, it's, um, and it, it's not as recognized. And uh, I'd like to think that's what he was trying to do there. And, um, uh, you know, the whole show, he, I mean, he won some awards. I know he lost out to artists like George Michael and I think even Bobby Brown. I mean, the Bad Album is amazing. And I love... By Brian, I love George Michael, but I think in retrospect, that should have been his show too. He should have all the shows, actually, in retrospect. But that's my favorite performance. And I, even as a, when I first got on the internet, I'd go to um, Yetzi, uh, Jetsy, Jetsy. Uh, I'd go to um, her site, their site, her site, his site. I don't know. 
And that was like when I first got the internet, the little real player with the, you know, the size <laughs> of a postage stamp video. That's the one I would always turn to as a favorite. Yeah, I love that one. What about your favorite tour? Yeah. Well, did you ever get to see Michael perform at all? Um, the 30th anniversary show. <gasps> oh, on September. Whoa, we, oh, wow. I am so Is glad I am sitting down on a really <laughs> sturdy chair. <laughs> which, which night did I, you see him on? The first or second night? December 7th, the first night. The first wow, night. Okay. And I have a lot of guilt about it, actually, to be honest, because, you know, it, it was, we, we just didn't know. Uh, you know, how could you have known that um, that those shows would end up being so important, that they would be the last full shows, you know? And um, so much of my memory, you know, you, you, there in the moment, I had saved up. I got a job at uh, um, Target, and uh, I had saved up all summer to uh, um, pay back my parents for the tickets. Because I, I think we had bought the tickets in, like, March or something. And I had to pay them back. And uh, I, I bought a ticket for me and um, a guest, which ultimately became my mom. And um, uh, it was expensive at the time. You know, it was like, I don't know, 700 bucks for the two tickets. And they, they weren't that, I mean, they were good seats, but not the best seats. And I remember the press actually being so hard on him for the ticket prices, which today, yeah. like, they're standard. But, um, uh, you know, it was our, it was my first trip to New York. So that was really cool. And, um, just being there and I just experiencing, this is my first time like meeting other fans, which I had, I had planned out to, to, there was a couple of fan gatherings. I was just there. I was shy and like, didn't really introduce myself to anyone, but I, I just observed them and, um, it, it was really cool. And, you know, it, you just, I, I, so much of my memory of that event is shaped by the YouTube videos that I have watched since then. And of course yeah, the yeah. broadcast, I got, I had one of those, like, remember those Kodak, those yellow Kodak disposable cameras? Yes. Yeah. It's so sad. That's what I, I still have the photos. That's what I have to document the event. And, um, if I would have known it was so important, I would have, I would not have been dancing and singing and I would have just watched in person it would not have been a party for me it would have been a study for me and um but you know a concert is meant to be a party that's he you know he didn't want he wanted it to be a party for you right but uh you know if i could go back in time i, I would take in the performance with so much more importance than i did in that moment but uh yeah as for my favorite tour um uh, the bad tour, I think. The bad tour. There's a lot to be said about the dangerous tour, and of course the history tour, to an extent. But the bad tour. It's the his. He was at his peak, you know, in terms of his speed, his vocals, his, you know, his physicality. At the bad tour, for sure. Nice. Okay, back to the 30th anniversary, though. <laughs> oh. I need to, please. Sure. So I've shared probably a number of times, because I love to repeat myself, how I just completely broke down in an absolute mess of tears at those opening strains of when Michael and the Jacksons, you know, they just launched out of the fireworks and all of that stuff. How 
was that in person, man? You know, okay. So I, I hate to like, how do I say this? <laughs> there was so much confusion that first night. Okay. First of all, amazing. So cool. But in context of the event, okay, and mind you, I was um, 17 years old, maybe? I was 17 years old. And so, you know, I still have my ticket, still have the program. First of all, there's all this controversy. What brothers are going to be performing, right? And, uh, you know, I, 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 have, I still have the program from the event. And the, the lineup of the brothers that are coming are an insert into the program because – you know, by the time the program went into print, it was they didn't they didn't know who was going to be in it, so they literally slipped in a piece of paper to, you know, saying, "Okay, this these are the brothers. This this is the Jacksons reunion." They're probably maybe unsure if it was going to happen at all. And there were, uh, you know, there was a there was the start time was so late, and the uh, there there had been at least one impersonator who had who would who would walk around the arena with an umbrella and um, the crowd would go nuts and there was confusion like is that Michael isn't it Michael you know it was pretty clear to me it wasn't you know there would be the uh, you know the the Chris Frucker introduction for example and then there'd be like I don't know it felt like a half hour break of nothing but it was probably more like five or ten minutes but significant in a concert and then the Jackson, then that thing would come on the, and of course it's amazing. And, uh, then there would be, you know, uh, I think the Jackson set was pretty much all in one shot, I think, but between each, Oh my God, I forgot to tell you about the tribute part. There is a tribute part between each of those. There was like a 10 minute break. It was a very slow moving show. The lights would come on in the arena. The lights would go off the, you know, you didn't know if it was safe to use the bathroom because you didn't know what you might miss because <laughs> there was no warning when things would be coming on. Um, and I don't mean to complain about the moment, but it, it was just a, it was, it was, they were filming a TV special. That's what they were doing. And I, I know there was vast improvements on all those issues by the second show. But, um, you know, I, I know some of the other members of the crowd around me, there's, there was a, growing sense of impatience in this show that I think a lot of people forget about in hindsight, but uh, even people who were there. But if you were there and you're listening, I, I know you understand that that moment has a... the My memory of being there in person is so skewed by the confusion of the moment that, uh, you know, I rely so much. It's a shame. I was there, but I rely so much on the videos and, and stuff that we have that you have watched. So a lot of our memories are probably the same, but yeah, it was for me, like it was just, I'd never seen Michael live. The invincible album was about to come out. We had no idea the struggle we were about to face with invincible. And then the Bashir and then the, this, well, this, I should say the Sony protests and then Bashir and then, um, the trial and then Michael's hiatus. And then this is it. And his death, um, you know, it all occurred, you know, that, that, that was like the last, among the last bliss in denial moments, unaware moments, um, 
So you, you didn't know to take it in. You didn't know to appreciate it. You didn't know. You just didn't know. You didn't know how important it would be. I thought there was going to be an invincible tour. There was already rumors of a full-blown tour, you know, at the time. Yeah. When um, Had you heard You Rock My World before he performed that? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funny story. I'm, I'm sure the YouTube videos have it. Yeah, the song had leaked a good time before things. I remember during the car ride to New York, I listened to the the track. And at the time, the only leak we had was from a radio station in New York called KTU. I don't know if you guys remember it. And like, there'd be yeah. KTU looped all throughout the You Rock My World yes. song. Oh my God, it was so That annoying. was a leak we relied on for a month or two, probably. But uh, I should say a few weeks. So Michael comes out and says, you know, what song do you guys, in audience interaction, he's like, what song do you guys want to hear? And there was, you know, the, like the first couple responses were totally mixed, Thriller and blah, 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 and Smooth Criminal. And eventually the audience just coalesces wanting Smooth Criminal. <laughs> and it was not the answer Michael Jackson wanted. So the crowd is saying, Smooth Criminal, Smooth Criminal. And Michael goes... You rock my world. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Like that that clip's on YouTube. I watched that the other day. Oh man! So obviously they devised a new introduction for the second show for for You Rock My World, and that's what is in the CBS broadcast. Obviously. Um, Oh, is that like the girls listening to the radio and stuff? Yes. Do you guys want to hear Michael's new song? Oh. Right, <laughs> which I guess is the response to the blowback Michael had faced by asking the assuming the audience wanted the number one request would be "You Rock My World." Yeah, it wasn't. It, it was. ended up being "Smooth Criminal," which is funny. Which you know, Alien Ant Farm had a big smooth. There was a giant smooth criminal resurgence at that moment too, which I'm sure was lended to that moment. But what was the deal with when when? Because I watched this clip the other day actually, and the the yeah, you're right. Michael said, you know. Do you want to hear You Rock My World? And then he turns to the band and goes, hit it. And nothing happens for like two minutes. And it's so awkward. That was, like, what was that yeah. about? Th- that's like what I was describing. There was just giant gaps between each song. It, it was not a smooth running, seamless show like what, like, you know, like what you see on the broadcast. Yeah. Although I, I, again... From my understanding, the second night improved that vastly, but um, th- it was the very, very, very long breaks, which wasn't aided by the fact that Michael Jackson was very late showing up to the show. And when he did show up, you know, uh, not the best moment, fly undone, and did not look entirely. I don't want to go into all that, Himself, but yeah, I, yeah. I think Frank Cassio, I think, has maybe exposed potentially what was going on behind the scenes at that moment. Yeah. So that's a, it's a big moment, a big, not my, I wouldn't say my favorite Michael Jackson memory or moment. I know that's, I see on this outline here, one of the questions you'll be asking. So I'll answer it for you now. <laughs> Wasn't that, um, and you think it would be, and it was definitely special, but um, favorite Michael memory. And I hate to get sappy again about it, but um, it, it has to do with, um, the friendships and bonds that I have made as a fan. Um, my favorite Michael memories are in moments where Michael wasn't even alive 
you know, moments with my friend Damien Shields or other fans that are just those special sacred moments that where he brought us together and he brought us together right now for this podcast and, you know, so many laughs and jokes and bonds and friendships and yeah. those will truly last the rest of our lives as will his music and memory. But that's my favorite part of being a Michael Jackson fan is being a Michael Jackson fan. Love it. Awesome. In a future episode, I will have to share, it'll be one probably with Paul Black on it again. Uh, I'll share my You Rock My World story (laughs) and how funny it was. And I'll give so just a quick little teaser of one day when I do tell the story. The first time I heard it was in a supermarket bakery back room on a little transistor radio (laughs) encrusted with flour and pastry. (laughs) So there you go. That's setting the scene for in the future. And uh, I'll share that story and Paul can tell the other half of it because it involved him. It was hilarious. How intriguing. That's awesome. <laughs> so tune in. Just you have to, every episode, guys, subscribe so you don't miss an episode because, yeah, that'll be in some future show. James, how long were you in New York City for after September 7th? Mm. So we had driven back. We left that Monday. So my first day, which was September 10th, we had my first day back in school was the morning of September 11th. And um, we were um, uh, so funny how uh, uh, I I believe it was on the September 9th, we were driving around New York and um, I'd seen the world, we'd literally driven right in front of the World Trade Center. And I knew there was a um, restaurant there that everyone said we should go to, which was called Windows to the World. And it's, I think it was on the top floor and it's awesome offers this amazing view of New York. And I'd asked my parents if um, I'm like, Hey, can, you know, we should like, we should check this out. And we had meant to, we had meant to go back later in the day to, to do that. And um, uh, we didn't end up going back there, but uh, I would never have the chance to not like that. Eating at the restaurant is the most important thing in the world to me, but just kind of neat because then that Tuesday, you know, I'm in school and uh, <sighs> Morning, September 11th. Uh, I was in, actually in my marketing in a marketing class, and um, a girl. We had to give presentations about where we had worked or whatever. And uh, there was a, a girl there who had worked at my class. Who worked at a bagel store. We were all munching on bagels because she had brought in bagels for us to eat as part of her little presentation. And uh, another teacher walked in and said, "Like, turn on the TV. There's a plane and hit the World Trade Center." And you know, I, I would just been talking to all my friends in class about being in New York and um, how I got back the day before. And just obviously the Michael Jackson show was the big thing I was talking about. And uh, yeah, it was a very surreal moment on 9-11. I, I could not imagine what it was like for the fans that were there. And especially for Michael, whose who's show, I mean, that's kind of show went into September 11th, I'd imagine. I don't know exactly what time it ended, but probably past midnight and uh you know that's it's weird and and uh in so many ways i think it represents i think it actually had a major impact on the the ultimate demise of michael jackson's you know last decade i think it it sealed the deal 
that Invincible had no real chance. I mean, God, you try releasing. The whole world was, you know, 2001 was the, was the first year that the record industry started to slump. I have every newspaper cl- magazine clipping that talked about his new album. And, and it was a big deal. People were looking at it as a litmus test for the industry as a whole. And people, which was sluggish, even though it's weird to say because NSYNC had just broken a big record and, and you know, everything was about teen pop at the, at the moment. It, it, it was just a setup for failure. And then, those, and then 9-11 happened. And I don't care how great it is. What are you going to possibly, how can you expect to have a commercial feel-good album be successful a month and a half after 9-11? And um, it's almost insensitive to say, but, you know, considering the media cycle and what's on people's mind. and um, uh, Plus, it was doomed to fill anyways. It's all, we all know this, you know, it was Sony, Tommy Mottola and all that stuff. It was just the perfect storm. And um, uh, one that he ultimately never got to recover from during his lifetime, at least. And uh, yeah, it's it's so ironic how it sort of all came all came together like that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sorry again. <laughs> apologize again. God, no, please don't apologize because this is freaking. It's awesome. the caffeine. It's the caffeine in the morning. <laughs> oh, man, you have such a skill and talent for. Taking a question and then tying it into these overarching, amazing, great themes. Yeah, like Seriously. historical events and stuff. It's awesome. You know, like you know what it is, and I, I like it's hard to say. It's I'm an ad writer, right? So I have to take the dumbest, benign features of a product, and I have to talk. Them Are up you calling like, our questions <laughs> dumb and benign? <laughs> no, no, no. But I've developed a skill for like, you know, like. This toaster has a timer. Yeah. I've got to like make this timer the biggest deal in the world. So like, <laughs> you know, and it takes a lot of, it's BS is what it is. It takes a lot of that to, um, you know, I'm very good at like just pooling and pooling and pooling until something sticks, I guess. But yeah. Um, and we get to, we need to get some marketing tips off you for the MJ cast. You don't yeah, how, You're how doing are we great. doing? You're doing awesome. You are doing phenomenal. It is such a great show. It really is. And you serve the community very, very, very well. Thank you. Yeah, big, big, big fan. My life will never be the same. Girl, you can't and change. The way I walk, the way I talk, I cannot explain the things I feel for you. But girl, you know it's true. Stay with me, fulfill my dreams, and I'll be all you need.
Hi, I'm Andy Healy, author of the MJ101 series, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. That was a remix of You Rock My World, one of my favourite songs from Michael Jackson's last studio album, Invincible. You can hear that one again if you follow the links in the show notes to YouTube. The final song that we'll be playing in the show is a track by Nigel George. Uh, It's called MJ You Are Loved. You can hear that one again on YouTube if you follow the show notes, or we've also got a link there to the track on iTunes if you'd like to pick it up there. James, we've just discussed that you don't want to be the record holder for the longest episode ever, but I could sit and listen to you for a hundred more hours (laughs) and I cannot wait to do that when, whenever we get you back on the show, because yeah, you are schooling me, you are educating me and I'm banging on furniture. I'm lecturing me. I'm loving it. And yeah, so thank you so much for sharing and yeah, we will get you back as soon as you are able to come back because, yeah, great. Love it. Oh, and listeners, let us know, you know, what have your favorite stories been from, from James? And, yeah, what else do you want to hear? But now we got finds of the week. Jamin. Yes. You found a really cool find of the week that I have seen in the past and I loved it. And I think, James, you watched it this week and you loved it as well. So share your find of the week. And listeners, let us know what you think of Jamin's find. Well, this one I'd never actually seen before. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but, like, I was just browsing uh, Facebook, I think. And I, I'm friends with, like, a lot of Michael fans on Facebook and I follow a lot of Michael groups and stuff. So a lot of random stuff come up in my feed. And this random video came up. I happened to click play and it turns out to be some kind of manufacturing demonstration video of how Michael Jackson's history album was created in like physically created in like a record plant. And it, something felt a little bit weird about it. Like when I started watching it, I was like, this is where, what, where would this have ever been shown? Like I thought maybe on like an, maybe some kind of like MTV special or something to do with the history album, but it just, there was something off about it. I was like, this, this couldn't have been broadcast on TV. Um, and then, and then the people that are speaking on the, on the actual video program was, were talking directly to Michael. Like they were saying things like, um, it's an honor to be in this video, Michael, we just want to show you how, what we do at this manufacturing plant. And it started to dawn on me that maybe this is a, manufacturing demonstration video that was put together by Sony Music to show Michael Jackson and to educate Michael Jackson on how his history album was being created. And it that's what it is. And it's absolutely awesome. It's it's so 90s, like the hairstyles, the fashion, <laughs> the computers, the technology, everything about it is so 90s. But it's so much fun to watch because you will be able to see exactly how they created the history album. Um, right down from like laser etching the design into the CD to um, creating like a master version of the CD on like glass on this thing called a glass master, which I'd never even heard of before, which was like the original master that all the CD CDs came from. Really, really cool stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. There's a really funny moment in it where like <laughs> there's a couple that are that are working in this manufacturing plant, like a it's an colleagues 
And uh, ironically, the guy's name's Michael and the girl's name's Janet. <laughs> and it just, it just, it, I just cracked up. I'm like, I reckon Michael would have cracked up at that as well. Like, that's just, what are the odds of that? But um, yeah, really cool video. I really enjoyed it. Check it out in the show notes if you, if you want to see this piece of 90s goodness. It's like an old training video from the 90s yes. for like when you when you go and do like a training at your brand new <laughs> job at the supermarket or something. It's like one of those videos that they would show you. I love it. It's, it's classic. Yeah, it's awesome. And the whole time like I'm watching it, like it's these are just normal, you know, just normal people. Could, could be your uncle or your aunt, you know. And just <laughs> this is – I mean imagine – they are someone's uncle or aunt. Like imagine being their nephew or niece and, and like, you know, being a huge MJ fan. And, like, this is presumably a few months before the album is released. And, like, you know, like, could you slip one of those in your pocket and bring it home to me, you know? <laughs> like, how, like, how cool of a job would that be to just, as a music lover, as a Michael Jackson fan, to just to see that, like, come through the thing. The, the warehouse that our company has – used to belong to um, uh, a big record chain here called FYE. They used to be Camelot Music. Um, we have their old warehouse. Obviously, they had to downsize a lot over the years. They're still in business, but we have their warehouse. And a lot of our warehouse employees worked for the old record company or record store chain that used the warehouse. And every time I'm in there and I, like, I'll be, did you work here back when this was FYE? Um, and... You know, they'd be like, yeah. I'm like, what was it like, you know, when Thriller or Bad, you know, because, you know, it's been in business forever. Like, what was that like? Like, I become like a total, like, fanboy. <laughs> um, every, you know, it's, yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. What a fun video. Imagine having been somebody in it knowing that Michael was going to be <laughs> watching you. Yeah, you'd want to make sure you ironed your shirt that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Nice find, man. Thanks. James, you've brought to the table your own find of the week. What have you got? Yeah. Okay. So this um so two fans, uh Pentum and Dorian. I don't I know of Dorian, um uh but but Pentum is uh a, a good friend of mine. And uh they put together this song compilation. They did it for Michael's birthday about three years ago. And it only has like 1,400 views. I'm, I'm surprised it doesn't have more because it's so cool. What they've done is they've taken every time Michael has ever sung the line, my life, which I did not realize no. was so often. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty short clip, um, but it's still 47 seconds of just the word my life, nothing <laughs> before it, nothing after it, just my life, my life, my life from all these songs. And it's got these cute, cute videos of MJ doing dance moves, but they're not really dance moves, just his mannerisms. Um, it's just, it's the coolest, coolest thing. And uh, um, there's probably other phrases like, he says all the time too, like, "My girl, my heart. yeah, Susie, hello." Yeah. <laughs> like you could make full songs out of just <laughs> one phrase that he says all the time. 
Um, it's it's really neat. Check it out. Did you guys, have you guys listened to it? I had never seen this before. You put this in the show notes, and I checked it out, and I'm like, how have I never noticed that yeah. Michael's pretty much most common ever two words were my life? How have, how have I missed that? Yeah. I, I'd never seen it, and before I clicked play, I could already pick two. I I, I thought, okay, well, you got to have she's out of my life, and then – the opening were the the first lyrics to "You Rock My World" are my life. So yes. I, I knew yep. I knew yep. those two, but heaps of the others. I was like, "Holy crap!" I never realized. Yeah, it's it's crazy to watch and really cool, very clever. Yeah, very yeah. clever, very random. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> They're the best finds, though. I reckon I like these random left field things that you you never knew were out there. So very cool. That's it. Speaking of, didn't know it was out there. Yeah, I've got a find of the week. Um, and credit to Ale, one of the uh, three wonderful hosts of our sister channel, the MJ Cast and Espanol. So Ale had said, "Oh, have you guys seen this?" Or she she mentioned it in one of our group chats, and I had never seen it. So it's a YouTube channel by a, a beautiful English girl named Laura, and so her YouTube channel is the Book of Laura. And she is only recently become a big mega Michael fan. And she does videos on a lot of different things as well, like uh, like um, Korean girl groups and and like hot guy compilations and stuff like that. But, oh, my God, Laura, I'm in love with you. You are the cutest. You are so cute. And you're just this ray of sunshine in the fan community. You've got this beautiful innocence and passion for Michael and you're hilariously funny and just so cute. And yeah, so check out her channel. I've subscribed because I don't want to miss any of these Michael videos that Laura does. So she does like reaction videos by watching things. Um, one of the ones we're going to play a little clip from this one, which is a MJ fan tag. So it's like her top 12 sort of uh, Michael questions or something. So we're going to play a little clip just to give you a bit of idea about what you might be able to find on some of Laura's videos. Um, Jamin, we have to get Laura on the show. Yeah, It'll totally. be a hilarious episode. I think we should. Um, I think we should. Totally. Laura, if you're listening, this is our invitation. Please come on the show, be a co-host with us for an episode because, um, yeah, you are just wonderful and I love it. And, yeah, I hope that you get a lot of views on your videos because they're really sweet. And, yeah, just, you know, it's talking about being fans and all that sort of stuff. Laura's just wonderful fan. It is so fun. So check it out. Check it out. But here we are. We're going to play you a clip of some of the things from her fan tag video. So enjoy. Number 10, if you had the chance to meet MJ, what would be your reaction? Probably something along the lines of... I just love your music so much, you mean so much, If you had the chance to tell MJ anything at all, what would you say? You single? <laughs> Number 12, do you have a favourite MJ era? If yes, which one? Of course I have an MJ era, I think everyone would have a favourite MJ era. My favourite MJ era is in between bad and dangerous. So, if that makes any sense. I like the end of bad going into the very beginning of Dangerous, sort of like black or white, like that sort of like, I think that's just, 
Well, that's it. That's all 12 questions. That was fun. Um, in the comments, tell me your favorite Michael Jackson song. Down there, tell me now. Now, do it now, do it now. No pressure. Thank you so much for watching. This has been fun. Uh, if you liked it, please press, please press subscribe, is what I just said. And uh, I'll be back soon with something else. Thanks so much for watching. Bye, I love you, bye. There you go. Did any of you watch it? Not that one, but I watched another one of hers. It was like a reaction video, which was really funny. Yes. Like the, her, her, her literal, like her, her facial expressions and reactions to all these. The thing, the thing that's so appealing about watching her reaction videos are we've seen the things a million times that she's watching for the first time. So yeah, yeah, it's just it's great and hilarious, and you should subscribe. Please subscribe. I I was I clicked on it yesterday. I was mobile, um, in the passenger seat of the car, and uh, uh, I watched a bit of it, and I immediately knew like this requires a lot. Of, like, I it's great, and I so I haven't yeah. actually watched the whole thing yet, but I'm I'm definitely going to. Yeah, um, I haven't watched all of her videos either. I've yeah, I want to sit and watch all of them with attention because they're so entertaining. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen a good amount. I was watching a couple yesterday. So funny. So funny. So, yeah, Laura, can't wait till you're on the show. Thank you. Jamin, I saw a video. Bruce posted a video from the uh, the, the roller skating Oh, did event. he? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So we were there in spirit because I saw that video and I, I did a tweet out. Um, yeah, so that was that was really awesome. And that looked like so much fun. It brought back so many memories of going to, like, the skating rink and having a Michael song come on. That would have been so cool. But I think they do it every year. So Yeah, they do. It's a yeah, next thing. year. There you go. Next year, go to roller skate in LA. Give Bruce a hug for us. Yeah. So, James, where can um, people find you online if they want to contact and communicate with you about MJ stuff? Uh, right now, I'm probably most active on uh, Facebook. So, uh, please reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, um, James Alay, A-L-A-Y. Um, you could put a link to it in the show notes if yeah, you want. Yeah, sure will. No worries. And uh, we're, of course, available on a range of social networks as well. If you want to reach out to Q&I as the MJ cast, uh, we're on all the major social networks. You can find us at Facebook at the MJ cast. We're on Twitter as the MJ cast. Instagram is the MJ cast. We're on Tumblr as the MJ cast. The web address for that one is themjcast.tumblr.com. You can also find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash plus the MJcast. Uh, you can hear all of our shows on YouTube. But of course, if you want to hear the shows as soon as they are ready to listen to, you need to subscribe to the MJcast as a podcast. We know a lot of you uh, listen to us on the website. We've seen the stats <laughs> and we know a large chunk of our, our audience love click and play on the MJcast.com, which I guess is cool. But please know that we are a podcast and you can subscribe to us on your uh, mobile device, whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone. Uh, on iPhone, of course, it comes with the built-in Apple Podcasts app. Just search the MJ Cast in there and hit subscribe. Uh, if you've got an Android phone, you can subscribe to us uh, by downloading our podcast podcatcher application. Uh, there's a lot of different ones on there, like Podcast Ad Addict, Podcast Republic, etc. Uh, Stitcher Radio. Uh, grab us on uh, your mobile device because... You don't have to do anything. The show delivers directly to you, to your device, and it'll be ready to go when you want to go out jogging or do your workout or, you know, clean the house or whatever you're doing. Go for a drive. 
and you can listen to the MJ cast straight from your mobile device. Nice one. Um, And also, if you're a Spanish-speaking listener, we have just launched the MJ cast en Español. You can find those shows at the moment over at themjcast.com slash Español. And they will be launching on iTunes soon. In the coming weeks, it'll be available on iTunes. So, yeah, if you're a bilingual listener, you speak Espanol and English, uh, you'll be very lucky because you'll be able to enjoy two um, shows from the MJ Cast Network. Look, uh, if you are listening to the MJ Cast and Espanol, I know that Jason, Sandra, and Ale would love your feedback. So make sure that you shoot us uh, an email at themjcast at iCloud.com and uh, let those wonderful three hosts uh, know how great a job they're doing with the MJ Cast Espanol and Espanol because I know they're loving putting the shows together. Oh, sure. All right. So... We got just a quick couple of thank yous. I just wanted to say uh, thank you to Saida Garrett for letting her, um, sorry, letting us play um, the amazing track. So thank you for the permission. Um, thank you to Tarrell Jackson also for granting permission to play his amazing tribute song. Um, and thank you to Erica for all hard work also uh, in the lead up to this show. And I just wanted to give a special shout out to uh, Jermaine DeVals. Um, thank you for helping us um, launch the MJ cast in Espanol with your um, production skills for the, what did he call it? Can you remember the name of the little music stinger. thing that he, stinger, that's it. Yeah. New word for me to learn the little stinger um, on the little animated logo videos that we launched with the promo teaser. So, yeah, thank you, Jermaine. We really appreciate it and we look forward to working with you on other stuff in the future. Launching the MJ cast in Espanol has been a really monumental sort of effort over the past couple of months and that's partly why we haven't released a show for the past few weeks because we wanted to give those guys a bit of breathing room with getting their um, shows out and uh, it wouldn't have been possible without so many different people and, James, of course, you're you're one of the big uh, players in getting that show really to be a possibility i had no idea how to do (laughs) category podcasting whatsoever and how to configure wordpress to allow us to put out multiple podcasts from one website Um, especially when it got to the stage of looking at doing crazy things like what was it called again a 301 redirect or something i had no idea what that was so (laughs) so thank you so much for your expertise Yeah, I was reading that conversation, the texts between you guys, and I was like, yeah, I understand 0% of this, so I'm just going to go sit over here in the corner, (laughs) post some pretty pictures on Twitter, because I know how to do that. (laughs) So that was entertaining. So thank you for that, James. My pleasure. Happy to do it. Thank you for joining us on this birthday episode. I hope that fans have enjoyed being part of the fandom that we've been sharing today. Uh, I have. I've loved it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yay. You going to come back one day? Uh, yes, sure. that's the answer is yes. I'd love to. You don't really have a choice. <laughs> You'll be back. I, I love to tour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, nice one. Cool. Well, Everyone celebrate Michael today. Yeah, just 
enjoy Michael and enjoy being a Michael fan. Yeah, whether you're you're out with your friends doing an awesome Michael gathering or you're sitting at home watching a Michael Jackson concert or you know, you've got those headphones on and really delving deep into some of his music. Make sure you enjoy Michael um, because he is certainly one of a kind. Yeah, so I'm going to sign off now. So happy birthday, Michael Jackson, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Jamin. Thank you, James, for today. I've had a wonderful time. And, yeah, thank you. Tune in soon. Michael on. Keep Michaeling. James, so we've got a question for you that we ask every guest that we ever have on, and you can expect it to go your answer to go in the Christmas special as well. Um, but we always ask people how they think Michael should be remembered. Uh, I, I think Michael should be remembered as a um, beautiful, incredible human being, and uh, it, it's easy to acknowledge his artwork, his performance, his music. But what matters most, what you should expect out of your neighbor or your child um, or a friend is something along the lines of Michael's heart. And um, that's something that you can do and that you can achieve without having to be a musician or a dancer or a writer. You can be a good person. And um, um, Michael is among the best of person. Michael. You're the best there ever was. There'll never be another like you. Uh-uh. Mankind wasn't ready for such a genius. Could not conceive this. No. The way that you mesmerized. Never seen it. Still can't and we forgot that you were just a man We apologize for every tear you cry You were such an inspiration to the world Michael
work is your legacy And through your friends and your family You will never die You're larger than life You were the greatest entertainer in the world So yeah.